Soap operas come to the big screen. The X-Men reboot. And Nicole Kidman sings her way through consumption this week on 2010. Hi, welcome to 302010, the Laser Time Network's weekly journey through three decades of pop culture. From a single week, we are recording from the week of May 28th through June 3rd across three decades, 1991, uh, 2001, and 2011. We'll be able to get to see all the cool stuff, pop, mostly pop culture, that was happening 30, 20, and 10 years ago. Get it? That's what the show's called, 30, 20, 10. You're great. And I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista. Who else is with me? I'm Diana Goodman. And Chris, I need you to talk to our new wardrobe lady, Tawny, because she put me <laughs> in a turban. <laughs> I feel like Gloria fucking Swanson. Don't, don't talk about Peggy like that. All right. Uh, and who else is with us? Y'all, this must be Pride Month because this week is gay as hell. <laughs> oh, it is so gay. This is our gayest week ever, and I am here for it. Clapping emojis. Yeah, I, <laughs> one movie definitely got me thinking that. And this show, I should say right at the top, is, is executive produced by Jason Fletcher and many other fine people at patreon.com slash laser time. Thank you for your $5 and keeping this show going for uh, six seasons now. We truly appreciate it. If you're just finding us, you've got a lot to catch up on, but I understand if you wouldn't. It also supports Laser Time, Video Game Apocalypse, and the Video Game Apocalypse boys have been very helpful with. Uh, we do thirty twenty ten games. We go in depth about the games released during these periods, uh, and we also have a brand new spoiler cast for Resident Evil Eight. For those of you who have played a new game and wanted to hear us talk about a new thing, God forbid, uh, we do that. Patreon.com slash Laser Time. Thank you, Jason Fletcher. <gasps> this is going to be a huge week. Uh, like Sarah said, gay as hell. Um, it. <laughs> I don't. I don't know why I didn't. I have the straightest possible associations with one of these things, and I just wow, holy shit! I barely got, I barely got out of here not gay. Oh my goodness! Yeah. <laughs> Every week we are like talking about some of the greatest pop culture highlights of gay culture. I'm pretty yeah. stoked, y'all. Yeah, we got some, we got some major step forwards. We got some touchstones. We've, we've got some, I don't know. Which even call them metaphors. Uh, we got yes. all kinds. Of, oh, yes. Happy Pride Month. Yeah, happy Pride Month, everyone. Um, even though we're recording from the last little bitty bit of May. So uh, bear with us <laughs> as we explore the beginning of June 30, 20, and 10 years ago. Let's begin as we always do in 1991. Oh, and as always, Di- no, this is not a depressing piece of history. Thank you, Diana. Yeah. <laughs> Sides and Angola news. signed a treaty ending a 16 year civil war. I have a feeling yeah. our country will have something to learn about that a few years from now. Treaties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was nice. It was one of those that was like a, a total proxy Cold War war where it was like you had commies on one side that the Soviets and the Cubans were supporting. And then you had the other guys who's what we usually support. And, and they moved to democratic reforms and stuff. And it's like, oh, good. Maybe those million displaced people can go home now. Yeah, not really. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, but we're talking about a war that started in the 70s, man. Ooh, la, la. So, yay, good. Shiny, good shiny bit of good news. Also good news if you liked last week's movies that we discussed. Backdraft is still number one at the box office. Um, and I loved the conversation J.R. Rawls kickstarted on our the Laser Time Facebook community about what other rated R movies have had uh-huh. theme park attractions. And it was way more than I thought, especially at yeah. Universal. I can't believe we forgot about Terminator. 
I it's just that there's been PG versions of Terminator. I was just like Universal had a Conan exhibit like after the first Conan. Oh, they did oh, for my a god. thousand years. <laughs> oh my god, how did I forget about that? Yeah, I just watched Conan for the first time in like twenty years. That movie is not appropriate for anyone. There's some really <laughs> uncomfortable shit in that film. Lots of a uh, lot. Of, uh, uh, if you want to see the male gaze on full display and women literally being traded as objects, <laughs> like how did you turn this into a play uh, for kids at Universal? Holy Lord. Um, <sighs> but uh, that's something I felt like I wanted to do a laser time about eventually. But anyway, uh, movies of 1991, February 28th through the 3rd, Backdraft number one. This is neither here nor there, and I know we're not going to talk about it very much. Rock and Roll High School Forever, as a little comedy central nerd, this would air most weekends early in the morning and I watched it all the time and didn't know what people were talking about when they said they loved rock and roll high school because I didn't realize this is the weirdo 90s sequel to the Corman original starring Corey Feldman and the music is much more like how do you describe it like end of 80s rock set pop and definitely not the Ramones. It is, <laughs> I, but I remember very distinctly Corey Feldman kind of rock and roll high school forever and ever. That's what I thought yeah. the whole fuss was about. Then I finally saw the original and it's charming as hell. The Ramones are great and it's the beginning of Joe Dante. So watch that one instead. Yep. Uh, uh, That's literally Joe, all I had to say. Yeah. The beginning of Joe <laughs> Dante's directing career. It just comes down to just watch the original. Watch it's the fun. original. This is not fun. No. Uh, I don't know where this came from because uh, I, I I got a late start on this week, but uh, straight out of Brooklyn with Larry Gillard and uh, Junior and Matt Matty Rich, straight out of yeah. Brooklyn, straight out of Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. So we're getting into gangs being decently represented in cinema, basically like gangster rap aesthetic starting to come into movies and it mm-hmm. being treated seriously. Like by the end of the year, we'll have Boys in the Hood, but we already had New Jack City. And here straight out of Brooklyn, which is a one of those like super inspiring stories where Maddie Rich, who was a teenager, maxed out a bunch of credit cards, fundraised around town. Wow. And he, he made a fucking movie and wow. it's pretty good. Wow. Huh. Is there any, yeah, any idea? He where was you like this? 19. Wow. And he makes a movie about like these guys are gonna uh, rob a drug dealer, and now the drug dealer's after them. You know, pretty basic stuff, but it's got that like actual '90s flavor to it. You know, more representative of what's actually going on in the world. And he ended up making like one other movie, I think, made the Inkwell, which is pretty good if yeah. I remember right. But yeah, we're also in 1991. We're also having the rise of the hyper independent cinema, which mm-hmm. becomes the independent cinema, which becomes the conglomerated independent cinema. But yeah, straight out of Brooklyn is kind of like. Film nerds only tend to remember it now, but yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, it might be you know, streamable. On, it's it might be streamable on Vudu, and when I say things like that, it usually means it's on YouTube somewhere for free or Daily Motion. Uh, yeah. Sad but good in this situation. The, wow, the polar opposite of a ragtag movie scraped together in an independent budget. Here we have an enormous vanity project yes. from one of the biggest celebrities in the universe. Which, but oh. so much more. It's like more historical than it is fun to watch. Yeah. But this is an important ass movie, and I will get into why in a second. Yeah. Yes. Um. But, but, but after we talk about the movie, we'll talk about her now. Sure. Yeah. Well, it's, say the name. It's Madonna. Madonna, Truth, Truth or Dare. Or Dare a, a also known as Overseas in Bed with Madonna. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> I mean, ta. well, both titles make sense towards the end. Yeah. Man. Yeah. I had not seen this before, and oh so I watched it for the first time this week, and 
I went into it thinking like, all right, like I know about Madonna. I like her early stuff and some of her later stuff, yada, yada. Holy shit. I loved this. I loved every minute. Every frame of this was so fun and so good and so interesting. Like I, it's just a, it's a concert film. It's a, it's a tour film. Like it's, it's, behind the scenes of her with like her backup dancers and her like her staff going through these this tour the european and u.s tour and like there's concert footage of her dance numbers and her singing and it's just it really shows you wow she really is a fucking powerhouse like Mm. it's kind of easy to forget how genius she is like she just hasn't been around recently and their last couple albums have been kind of weird or just not great or kind of out of touch or whatever but man that early stuff was like visionary it's wild and like yeah um, i just loved it so much yeah so just as a documentary it's interesting to see like what goes into these massive stadium tours and how many people are behind the scenes and there's all this stuff that's going on and there's a lot of downtime where you're just hanging out with each other and you know traveling here and there and hotel room after hotel room with, and, your, and with your boyfriend warren Beatty. With your boyfriend Warren Beatty sulking in the corner, Real not, stick in the mud. not wanting to have anything to do with any of this. See, that's why yeah. you don't do a young girl, Warren. You should have talked to me. Should have talked yeah. to me. And, and then there's, you know, little things like, uh, you know, celebrities coming to your show and glad handing, and people always made fun of, like, oh, she's so mean to Kevin Costner, and it's like that's might be the biggest laugh I've ever had yeah. in a documentary. I, I remember like Howard Kevin Stern going Costner, off on a chapter of his book on how mad he was at that. I oh never, I haven't God. even seen this, but uh, she makes a gagging face when he says her concert is neat. How dare she? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because it's so because obviously it's Madonna, and we're talking, you know, like a prayer era Madonna. So there's, it's a very sexual show with a lot of religious imagery and to just have Kevin Costner just be like, gosh, that was neat. I got to go home and put my kids to bed, but you know, walking out in his dad jeans and his mullet, like that was real neat. And just to give Madonna a little more credit, this is before we all knew Kevin Costner sucked and that was the right reaction. (laughs) (laughs) He's a very bankable movie star right now. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, it's it's so interesting in that, like, it's supposed to be, oh, this behind the scenes, you know, Mm -hmm. profile of Madonna and you feel like you get to know her and also that you will never know her, never know how Mm -hmm. she thinks. And so that is very canny for her brand, which is like the ultimate thing that Madonna is good at. Mm -hmm. And also, well, two things. One, I feel like this presages a lot of celebrity television uh, reality shows. Mm-hmm. You know, the way it's sort of like we feel like we're getting to knowing them, but it's also kind of controlled. And then there's also like confessionals or testimonials where they talk about this stuff. And and I mean, the, the big thing that I see people bring up about this is that it's just normalizes gay dudes. Yeah. All her dancers, except for one, are gay. And they're just hanging out, talking about stuff. The F slur gets thrown around a lot. Yes. But, but in an affectionate way. Like, mm-hmm. Yes. I don't get to criticize when gay people are doing it. And like they go to a pride parade and they're like talking about their lives. And it's like, yeah, they're just, they're just dudes, man. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. just dudes. Yeah. And we still hadn't seen that a lot in 1991. And we hadn't really seen the relationship, the very, very special relationship that can happen between a, uh, a woman and a gay guy where they are intimate, they're close. It's like 
affectionate, physically affectionate, like the whole kind of towards the end where she's in bed with her dancers, like each one comes and gets in bed with her and they like talk or whatever. And like, sometimes they're naked, sometimes they're cuddling, (laughs) sometimes they're kissing like with tongues, like, and it's like, yeah, I experienced that too. And I, you know, with my group of like gay men and we all just kind of like, it's a very special relationship. And I'm sure that had not been portrayed on film previously certainly not to mainstream audiences i also think that well a i i think the what's interesting is that they do get a little bit into her like family stuff and she Mm kind of narrates this visit to visit her mom's uh gravesite but that seems far more manufactured than what i think is the most intimate moment which is her like hanging out with sandra bernhard Mm -hmm. just I love that. Like two girlfriends, hilarious, like icons, artists, like just shooting the shit, being funny, really, truly like showing like great female friendship. And even like the other people in the movie are like, yeah, they're really close. Like they're actually really friends. I loved that moment between them. I thought that was like a very sweet moment and very the most real thing I think that you see from Madonna. That's like doesn't Mm. seem to be put on basically. Yeah. Yeah, it's I. It was definitely interesting that like, yeah. Also, um, yeah, the highest grossing documentary of all time until Bowling for Columbine. That eleven, twelve years later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nah, babe. I also love this too because she is so she is such a bitch, <laughs> which oh, is yeah. so awesome to see. Like she. <laughs> is fucking in charge like she Mm -hmm. has her hand in every single thing that she does it has to be perfect it has to be right and you really i also don't think you saw this from female artists like really like the behind the scenes like diva stuff the vh1 divas like all that that came a little bit later in the 90s like Mm -hmm. this is what you really see like no she's in charge of her career here she's in charge of her vision she is the artist and she it's very important for her to get things right and she doesn't care how she's perceived and that is Mm -hmm. and and somehow less (laughs) somehow less embarrassing than metallica is some kind of monster yeah (laughs) it's so liberating to see someone like that it kind of i don't know it was extremely inspiring for me to watch just to see like a woman just like standing in her truth not caring what other people think about her she's going to execute her vision because she knows she's right she's not second guessing herself even if the toronto police are there yes threatening to arrest her like the vatican is sending out messages saying italy should cancel her concerts her dad is there being like it's kind of (laughs) racy so that was hilarious yeah madonna's dad and stepmom come in are like oh well that was a nice show it was a little risky (laughs) are you winning hon it's like come on we were talking prime time cone bra gautier madonna yes yeah Mm -hmm. It's a good reminder of female artists and how they have to be sometimes to be taken seriously. And she's the real deal. Yeah. I yeah. love it and so much. I, I love it. Of, this sets the template for, you know, most concert movies we see from now on. We don't just see the concert. We have some behind the scenes and how it all comes together. And, oh, look at Justin Bieber working so hard. And, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, this this kind of where it starts. Madonna, truth, I, I believe it's free to stream on Pluto TV in the United yeah. States. Ooh. Yeah, a lot of ads, though. It was getting <laughs> very, a lot of ads. Very, very many ads. Yeah. Their inventory is 
way more advanced than Hulu's was at this stage. It's hard. It's, sometimes it's hard to recommend. And I just keep laughing about whatever's going to happen to that James Bond channel they've been bragging about over at Pluto TV for the last two months. Oh, boy. Mm. Sorry, no current news on this show. But <laughs> moving on to the next film, a movie I have not seen in forever. Couldn't, uh, couldn't, couldn't find it for a little bit here. A forgotten movie from John Hughes and Chris Columbus. Um, just Chris Columbus, I think. Well, John Hughes produced, yes. I think. Yeah, he did. But it's just got a lot of the same people. And by that, I mean one of the same people. Uh, Jim Belushi, Anthony Quinn, Ali Sheedy, Maureen O'Hara, and John Candy and Only the Lonely. There was only one woman in Danny Muldoon's life. Can I, Mom? Until he met Teresa Luna. Where do you live? Here. With the stiffs? Now, love is in the air, and mother <gasps> is in between. Where are her breasts? What? You're built like a 13-year-old boy. <laughs> From John Hughes and Chris Columbus comes a comedy for anyone who's ever had a mother. <laughs> Only the Lonely, rated PG-13. Coming soon to theaters everywhere. Oof, that, that, man, did that line about the breasts inspire a lot of terrible things from 11 year olds through the next throughout the next couple of years <laughs> holy shit that I, I heard that line forever after this film trailer and now it just it just came blazing back into my head oof oh oof. dear ah uh, so here's where i get to have the tiniest bit of respect for chris columbus mm-hmm. um which i rarely have <laughs> uh he's coming off a of home alone biggest hit of last so year weird and he and he decides to write and direct basically a comedy remake of marty Mm-hmm. From 1955 with Ernest Borgnine. Um, it's so un-Chris Columbus-y that like, I kept double-checking. Like, he really directed this? Really? Yeah. Then why don't they all live in mansions and not actually work any? That's usually <laughs> what his movies are like. This was adorable. Yeah. I, I, I was really young when I saw it, and I, I just I don't think it. But I watched Marty recently. And that movie will has so much heart and will charm the pants off of just about anyone. I can't imagine John Candy being foisted into that oh. role. Oh my god! Oh, it it hurt. I like by the end, I was just moping around, being like, "Why don't we have John Candy?" And then I looked and I realized I'm now a couple months older than John Candy ever got oh to be. Oh boy! Wow! And this oh is very upsetting that he oh was boy. only 43. That's yeah. so unfair because no one casts a guy shaped like John Candy in a romantic comedy. Right. No That's one. True. He's he's the wacky best friend, maybe. Like, normally you think Jim Belushi is the lead in this and John Candy is the wacky best friend. That, that's sort of it what is, the, the movie is. The, per, the unintentionally cel- the, light, the story of an unintentionally celibate man finally yeah, breaking yeah. out and finding something. Well, yeah, he's, I mean, he's uh, a cop. He's been sort of forced by his family to take care of his widowed mother, who's just super pushy and super overbearing. Uh, Maureen O'Hara coming out of retirement after mm-hmm. 20 years from freaking what the quiet man and miracle on 34th street the original one i mean she's a classic actress <laughs> the parent and trap right the original parent trap, trap. yeah that's how i trap. know her yeah. yeah 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 and he meets ali sheedy who's like super super shy and for a weird mini theme a mortician oh, i love hey. it yeah we have a theme for the week um and she's you know really just everyone ignores her and then like they kind of help each other and come out of their shells together and and fall in love and it's ridiculously sweet is it was yeah meanwhile like you got anthony quinn in there as like the neighbor who has a big crush on maureen o'hara and but she's like super uptight and irish and racist against everyone so he's greek she doesn't trust him (laughs) you know you know what they're like (laughs) you know and just like oh oh she's half sicilian she'll shiv (laughs) you she's probably has a stiletto hidden in her shoe he's not wrong and um, 
Yeah, it is just all around like a charming movie. It's perfect for like watching with your parents. It's not a Christmas movie, but it would be great to watch at Christmas as just like warm and sweet, but funny and, you know, has a nice ending. And I, yeah, I was shocked. I remember it being like, oh, that was cute. And then I watched again and I'm like, I want more movies like this, goddammit. And I want more leading men that are not regular leading men like John Candy. Mm. Can I... May I ask a perhaps controversial question? Mm. Go for it. Is Kevin James our John Candy? Oh no, uh, there's got to be a better one though. What's, what's... Kevin James is great, y'all. His yeah, stand-up just... is really good. No, no, no. no just but just yeah. not as not as sympathetic. Not as doesn't have the same yeah. every guy kind of look to him. What's Ethan Suplee look like he, now? What... <laughs> he's kind of. I I think you're 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 in the right direction. Yeah, mm. I think he he has a lot of the same sort of cuddly charms he's just not mm-hmm. quite as as just like sweet natured yeah, underneath i, I want to say chris farley as sweet as john candy chris farley could have done it but you know same mm-hmm. issue same issue he, no, have you I, seen I him think... in coneheads he is so lovable for real i'm not kidding That's true. <laughs> he's very yeah, good he's but this mm-hmm. is really like yeah this is above and beyond from john candy like he really has to be very very likable but believable as like not especially charismatic, quiet I, guy who just minds his own business. I, I never, I took it for granted. Oh, gra- I, I better call and check in on my mom again. I don't know. I took it for granted as a little kid. I saw John Candy in so many things, but he really just had like three or four champions behind the camera who are like, we love this guy and we'll put him in anything. Mm-hmm. And Chris mm-hmm. Columbus and John Hughes being two of those people, and they're both involved with making this movie. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I, well, I, and he had a good reputation, right? Like yeah. outside of he, oh yeah, he's a Everyone great guy. So yeah. yeah, as long as you don't, as, you, as long as you don't mind your co-star blaring his own jazz music into your face, like I think that's, that's about the worst I've heard of John Candy. That's pretty bad. Uh, he made the, he made the whole crew food, but it's very fatty. Like that, th- those kind of stories. <laughs> That's my ideal coworker. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh yes, please, please make me put on ten pounds during this movie. Yeah, I would appreciate it. There's... Yeah, only the lonely. F- you can find it for rental, and it was. Oh my god, it was just adorable. It was so heartwarming. I kind of needed that sort of movie right now. And it um... did it. I just uh, and again, also weird thing like backdraft makes Chicago look amazing. Mm. Just amazing like i looked up the cinematographer because like why does everyone look so beautiful the city looks incredible <laughs> uh and then moving on to our next film which was uh for me surprisingly delightful even though i've seen it several times i'll tell that terrible story later on but a huge huge cast carrie fisher kathy and jimmy um carrie hatcher Whoopi goldberg kathy moriarty elizabeth shu robert Downey jr kevin klein and sally field in soap dish rod randall comes back from vienna the guy was decapitated will you use your imagination he doesn't have a hand close list there's romance you still have feelings for me intrigue there's plenty against me deception you've got to kill him off get him out of town give him a disease and sex i didn't sleep at night and they're not even on the air yet you're kidding soap dish you people have the morals of skinny cakes rated pg-13 I put it to you: Is there a cast out there with more firepower? It, uh, also, Gary Marshall. Gary Marshall. Uh, Gary had, Marshall. I had all that usual stealing every scene written yeah. down. 
the most underrated comedic workers, especially in 1991. Everybody's aware that Robert Downey Jr. can be hilarious now, mm-hmm. and he's mm-hmm. very well compensated. But it wasn't the case back then. I just watched Smokey and the Bandit, and I'm yelling at my girlfriend like, Sally feels the funniest fucking person in the world. What, why don't I see her <laughs> more comedies? And then I got to go like right into this, which is... I mean, it's just one, it's not even camp. It's a movie about soap opera behind the scenes of a soap opera that is more fun than the soap opera they're producing. And it's it's, camp as fuck. Is it? It is the campiest. (laughs) Yeah, this is, it's camp week. Y'all get out your tents. I just thought it was, I I thought it was fucking, I thought it was clever. Like I, I, and I still do. I feel like this, you could, you could could pitch this as a Netflix show tomorrow, a a, a soap opera behind Mm. the scenes on an an 80 soap opera. I won't miss glow for a second give me, Mm. (laughs) give me soap dish the show. No, give me um, Schitt's Creek with Maura Rose going back to soap opera. Oh, like, that is oh. definitely flavors of that. You're asking here. for a Schitt's Creek prequel. People, are you listening? Of course I am. Are you listening? With Victor Garber? Hello. Mm-hmm. I just want to be credited <laughs> higher than Sarah when you give us all credit for this <laughs> at the end. Um, but also, too, Kathy Jimmy is <laughs> – every scene she's in was the best. Like, she is – And it's a real small part. She it's does not really have many smart, lines. and she steals the scene every time. Like I just need yeah. to shout her out because I loved it every time she was on screen, and I want to see her more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is kind of her debut in a way. Yeah, of like her having a, a decent sized character with an actual name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. So as it kind of explains, Sally Field is a, a longtime star on the soap opera, so sort of like a Susan Lucci type. Robert Downey Jr. is uh, the producer, and Kathy Moriarty, her co-star, are trying to get rid of her, so they bring back her ex-boyfriend Kevin Klein to try to ruin her life. Uh, and then the goofiness on the soap opera is mirrored by the goofiness behind the scenes, because uh, yeah, they call it real life soap opera, and everyone is just giving it their all they're just playing it to the rafters it is so freaking funny and so another one i had to look up like who the hell wrote this because it's goddamn brilliant the the, Mm -hmm. so much good fast dialogue uh robert harling who is sarah's favorite writer and doesn't even know it he wrote steel magnolias and the first wives club (gasps) first wives club yeah and andrew bergman who's written uh, the in-laws honeymoon in vegas Freaking blazing saddles. <laughs> he's, wow. Yeah. He's usually brought in to make everything 80 times funnier, and he does. And just everything about this. This is seriously one of my favorite comedies. It's so good. And it's madcap, I yeah. feel like, yeah. is a great way to explain it. I mean, also, like, the costumes, the set dressing. Oh, yeah. Like, it all is These so very over the big- top. Big blocks of primary colors. Yeah. Everyone's wearing a primary color, and there's just the table is just a giant red table for like no reason, just to give yeah. it a kind of heightened look. Just, sure, whatever. Big shapes, just, you know, <laughs> like in, in every way, like clothing, decor, it's all there. Like, it's so fun. It does end on a pretty distasteful yeah. trans joke, which I don't like. No. Uh, I don't love that at all, but no. and was slice weird that as- off and the rest of it's great. Yeah, it was weird. It's like, I feel so, I feel so evolved. I was woke before everyone else was woke because I remember seeing this like 30 years ago and it ends on this trans joke. And I was like, yeah, but she's totally a woman though. So who cares what Mm. she used to be? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, look at her. She's gorgeous. Who cares? So yeah, it, that is like, oh, the one big flaw. It ends with this anti-trans joke that's pretty mean spirited and Mm -hmm. 
ends up not making a ton of sense. Like, but then why would she go back to being a dude to do dinner theater? That doesn't no, that doesn't make <laughs> yeah, sense. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> but the rest yeah. of it's great. Yeah. And I was, oh, I, I was like I was look looking back on this and like, why didn't more people give this its due and it's like oh everybody did and everybody had huge hopes for this and it just kind of didn't perform well or maybe find its audience that well uh it's a little confusing but yeah it 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 has a great like audiences test audiences loved this critics loved it and it made a little money but like uh i didn't even know it existed until that was my dirty dirty story i uh i think i'm on an episode of the tanglers talking about premium cable and i never really had hbo i just tape everything i'd ever heard of in as like get as many tapes as i could have and tape it's the only way you could have movies to watch whenever you wanted and i had i i I really don't want to think it's carlito's way but it might have been that was my spank movie because there's two scenes in a strip club and it's adorable to think about me being able to do anything with that now but uh Mm. i recorded it after i recorded soap dish so if ever i wanted to do that i had to fast forward through soap dish (laughs) so soap dish to me is associated with my like early early vhs spank material you're just edging your way through soap dish you think you have a problem with the ending imagine being a young boy with your thing in your hand like i did i find this distasteful (laughs) i find (laughs) oh my god that's so weird because i have a weird vhs related thing with this too because i remember we rented a bunch of movies from blockbuster we liked them all so we wanted copies of them and so i it it never works in my mind when silence of the lambs ends soap dish has to start (laughs) oh god that's the association yes i love it has to (laughs) if it doesn't i start being like god damn i wanted to soap dish also silence the lamps not great for trans people also so there's a name but yeah Um, that's how i have with mixed cds like from high school like i have certain associations with songs or like what ends and now like Dave Matthews has to come after Maroon 5. <laughs> yep. It's a little insight into my high school years. But yeah, yeah, yeah. This, so, this movie was so wonderful and I was pretty shocked I hadn't seen more things like it. And it, it seems like something that would do better today than it did 30 years ago. And I mm. thoroughly recommend yeah, did people, people just it not get the joke or do people just think like, well, I don't like soap opera, I think so that I don't was care it. what happens on one. Yeah, I think, I think, I think that it. was it. I'm not no, watching this chick what... movie. <laughs> Yeah, but it's not really, I mean, it's not so much about soap, it's about television in general, but then the things that happen on the soap opera are so ridiculous, and it's so, (laughs) I mean, Terry Hatcher is supposed to be like a neurologist, and she's always wearing these super tight mini dresses wherever she goes, like with the doctor's coat over it, and it's like, why, and giant jewelry, and Sally Field's husband is like constantly rushing in because he was just weightlifting somewhere when he heard the news. He always has his shirt off. Yeah, this, this, uh, this is thoroughly yeah. worth revisiting. And I think it's on Pluto TV with and, uh, and Paramount Amazon, Plus. Amazon Prime. And Amazon Prime and Param- it's a Paramount movie, so it will forever live on Paramount Plus with yeah, no ads. But if you have not watched Soap Dish, uh, do it. It's... Which, yeah, I guess a lot of people haven't. Seriously. Kaffeeschlagen. You're giving me Kaffeeschlagen right now. One of the best teleprompter jokes I've ever seen. <laughs> oh my god, yes. That is such a good scene. Yeah. Oh, 
And just, and just uh, oh, yeah. a little kid not recognizing Carrie Fisher and things. I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot she was in this. This it's it's <laughs> such a fun movie. I wish I wish all this whole team came back and made something else uh, instead oh, of. Dang. Yeah, I just I, I'm a big Kevin Klein fan as well, and he just doesn't That's show true. up enough. And also, as a dumb aside, this is the best Whoopi Goldberg has ever looked. Oh, she looks. I don't amazing. know why. I don't know why this time in particular I was watching this and I was like, this is the look like everyone should like every businesswoman should wear wow. this look. She's you know, wearing these like double breasted suits that fit really well. And her hair is like long braids in these twists that are like a crown, a crown. You know, it's really at this like, point, in her, at this point in her career, she had only played an alien and uh, criminal, criminal street people. <laughs> Seriously. in like every film she had not, you'd not seen her as a glamorous woman. Well, and she's so good in this because she's the, it is true. the if straight. Jump a Jack Flash and like Homer and Eddie and like everything she's in, she is dressed yeah. as a hobo. And ghost. And ghost. ghost. No, we've had Ghost, yeah. which is yeah. a very different look. But yeah, she's like glamorous. Mm-hmm. Like you, seriously, you could learn something for, if you need business attire, you well, could learn something from her. She's playing such a great straight woman to everyone else because even in her clothing like all of her suits are like very respectable and like in neutrals or muted colors or whatever and everyone else around her they are in the wildest clothing you can imagine <laughs> it's so good yeah um, <sighs> I love soap it so dish much. everyone and uh Quiz shows are beating us uh, <laughs> and uh moving the television oh my god i we're not going to get out of the neighborhood. Uh, it's the Tonys, everyone. <laughs> it's the Tonys. The Tonys are this week. The hosted by Julie Andrews and Jeremy Irons. All right. Whoa, All right. nice. And uh, I don't know if I'm familiar with... Of course, the Will Rogers Follies wins Best Musical. How could it not? Mm. We've all seen that movie in way in. Diana, help me, please. Um, yeah. <laughs> they haven't made a movie of that. Yeah, best play lost to Yonkers by Neil Simon. Oh, I have best seen survival. that. <laughs> uh, Fiddler on the Roof. I'm thinking that's the... Um, Harvey Firestein version? Oh, thank God. I might be wrong. Mm. Yeah, I might be wrong. Mm-hmm. I forget which revival it is. Whatever. Uh, yeah, Mercedes Rule wins for Lost in Yonkers. Uh, oh, Nigel Hawthorne and Shadowlands. That got made a new movie. Basically, if it hasn't gotten made a new movie, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> uh, the Leeds and Miss Saigon both won. Oh, Leah um, Salonga. Yeah, Leah Salonga. She was, she's a Disney princess. princess. Was she Princess Jasmine? Is oh, that who I'm thinking? I thought she was Ariel. Or Ariel. No, oh, yeah. She mm-hmm. wanted him. Okay. That's cool. Jasmine and Milan. Oh, Jasmine. Yeah. Oh. So you're both right. Hello. Uh but the Tonys. And I I feel like we just started talking about the show 30 something, but it's already over. Uh yeah, only went four years. Huh. I yep. just remember but... it was in the first issue of Mad Magazine I ever bought. I've never seen an episode of the show, but I know <laughs> what they thought about it and how they set it up in their satire. Yeah. Well, it's one of those where it's like it was a big hit at first and it dropped off real fast mm-hmm. and then finally got canceled. But critics all freaking loved it because it's pretty much just big chill the show. Yeah. I remember a couple years ago, I went back and tried to watch a little bit of it because I thought, oh, I, I mean, I love the big chill. It's one of my favorite movies. So I thought I would really mm-hmm. like this. And yeah, I mean, spoiled white boomers in the 80s really is not aging well these days is like mm-hmm. <laughs> something that i want to watch so yeah, oh. yeah. and then occasionally I thought, being like i thought you just meant my parents <laughs> yeah All yeah and then occasionally really... being hey remember when we were cool and had morals in the late 60s and we cared about stuff and now we don't Boo. but who's gonna broke this stock <laughs> <laughs> oh my socks are broken <laughs> <laughs> the goodbye 30 yeah. something uh, but, yeah unfortunately you can't it's not streaming anywhere because of music rights so pro- yeah. Meh. 
the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, at least in my opinion, because mm-hmm. the show I re- did really like uh, mm-hmm. debuted this week on Nickelodeon. Kefanawana. We hold you in our hearts, and when we think about you, it makes me want to fart. I, I don't even need to look this up. That is... <laughs> wait, hold on. Let me hear Ugg tell him to fuck off. It's I hope we never part. Now get it right or pay the price. <laughs> I Definitely the first kids <laughs> kid show TV theme with fart in it. Uh, <laughs> salute your shorts, which I never thought about it like this because I thought I hated camp, especially sleepaway camps. But I love this show because it reminded me of camp all year. A different ecosystem that I would go be forced to go into as a kid that was always more fun than regular school. But wait, yeah. you went to sleepaway camp? I went to every kind of camp. Yeah, you know. my dad worked wow. for the the agency. My dad worked for has camps. It's <laughs> it's the the Florida Wildlife Commission. I've told that story, that traumatizing story, somewhere on a podcast before. But yeah, I went to a ton of stuff like that. Um, usually, through I went to a work. bunch of day camps. I never got to go to sleepaway camps. So, salute your shorts. Later on, uh, Bug Juice, of course, The Parent Trap with Lindsay Lohan. Like, those are all yeah. things that, like, held a lot of mystique for me because it just seems so much – Camp Nowhere, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. seems <laughs> so much fun to me, and I just never got a chance to really do it. Well, um, you just have to get involved with your local YMCA. That's like we you know, Well, and I kind of feel like probably it was a good thing that I because I hate outside. So I probably ah. wouldn't do really well in a camp situation. I also hate team sports. So and we're, I'm we're, an we're in North Florida. That can be pretty, uh, pretty, it's pretty like that's why the shorts were so high back then because it yeah. was 100 degrees in, yeah. and you're sitting outside for weeks at a time. You have but, to provide more leg meat for the mosquitoes. There is some, there is something I always <laughs> liked about it. And as, as Nickelodeon was like, really on this streak of making incredibly grounded, real, and relatable children's shows. These are how kids act. We just talked about Clarissa coming mm-hmm. out, who is like a different kind of sitcom lead. This we show could talk be... about Hey Dude. Yeah. And Hey Dude is like, you know, it, it's Nickelodeon's first live action show. But this is like with kids. Is kids are the act. Kids are playing kids. Yeah. Uh, it can be, I think... I. Haven't seen it very, very recently, but like 10 years ago recently, it can be really brutal and mean in a way that camp and school is and was. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I always, it's very short. It's two seasons of 13 episodes, but I love this show. Wow. Yeah, I, I loved it too. I love this. And hey, dude, those were like my two staples yeah. um, at this point. And especially because and it was great because when my stepson was younger, elementary school age, Sam showed him hey dude and salute your shorts and he was really into it which was like really surprising to me but i really liked these types of shows when i was in elementary school because i loved watching things about people who are a little bit older than me because then you kind of it's modeling for like this is how i'm going to be when i'm a teenager this is how teenagers act or talk or whatever and so i was really happy to see that my stepson was like also watching it and i mean children's media is so different now than how it was when we were growing up so i don't really know what's out there as far as things like this where you're watching i mean i know i didn't watch really say by the bell but i know it was the same thing for people who watch say by the bell it's like those kids are a little bit older than the kids that were probably watching it. Oh the yeah, most. they're all in their, they're all in their twenties, and these these are very clearly kids. And the first episode of the show deals with Michael arriving late at the camp and being the new kid. And I just love premises like that. And like, I don't give a sh- I love being the new person somewhere. It, like, yeah, everybody come to me. Ha <laughs> ha! Everyone introduce yourself to me. <laughs> Whereas as a kid, it was uh, it was just terrifying. 
And, and and if Sarah likes impressing herself on sh- on kid actors a little I older, I love impressing myself. I like I like shows, live action shows with one to no adults in it, and that's what this is. <laughs> there are no adults present. It is just kids doing their thing, usually getting into trouble, doing pranks. It, just look at the name of the show. Salute your shorts is it's so cliched. I've never even seen it. Putting your underwear up a flagpole. Uh, yeah. I, I've never seen, not at school, not at camp, never seen anybody do it. I even think at, at 11, I was like, that's pretty hack, man. Let's, let's, <laughs> can't we just go steal a bunch of Cokes? Yes. And we did. And then lastly, this week, Sarah sent me a last minute message. We must know claymation comedy of horrors. And you know, if it's got claymation in it, it's because it's a Will Vinton joint and he copyrighted that term and he kept using actual clay long into when that became very inconvenient <laughs> and <laughs> got to wipe those fingerprints off and everything. But he had, it was his, literally his proprietary technology. You could not, you, you could not call yourself claymation. He did. And on CBS, he had made, I haven't talked about it in years, a claymation Christmas. Um, Will Vinton's also the person behind California Raisins and uh, The Noid. And mm. the, the, the video for the terrible Michael Jackson called Speed Demon, I had I forgot mm. all about that, where he da- has a dance-off with a claymation character and there's live-action people playing those claymation. It's, it's a fucking nightmare and a terrible <laughs> song, Speed Demon. That's a Will Vinton joint, The Noid's in it. This is following up on that format a little bit from a claymation Christmas, but we, right before we started recording, we looked at it like it's a Halloween special. I'm like I checked, it is very much a Halloween. What is it doing here in June? <laughs> and it sounds like you know, three years later, someone didn't have a ton of faith in this and decided mm-hmm. to air it here, or maybe they just couldn't wait. But it's an interesting period where like. Almost everything with stop motion was coming out of this Vinton Studios in Portland. Neat time. He's he died a few years ago. Retired even longer ago than that. But I, I, I'm very much a fan of the work of Will Vinton, and this is, of course, like most of his work, free on YouTube in its original terrible quality. Uh, but it's it's really fun to look at. Ugly in the perfect '80s '90s way. I love <laughs> this style of uh, stop motion animation. You know, I realize I haven't talked about a game in this segment in a while, so I wanted to entertain you guys with something. I feel like, wow, aren't games crazy? You know, you know what's the number one best selling game for the entire month of May as we close out May? Hmm. It is Super Mario Brothers Three, a game that came out February of last year. I'm like, aren't games Jeez. aren't games nuts? I'm like, well. And home mediums like books stay on the charts that long. True. Um, it just, you know, movies and television shows tend to not do that. But yeah, yeah, a lot of stuff sticks around like that. But like, but Mario 3, <laughs> we'll have Mario 4 by the end of this year, but this is still number one. And, and to just mark what a different world we're living in, the UK and Europe still don't have this game. <laughs> it, it's been out in America for over a year. It's been out in Japan for over two years. <laughs> and Europe still... What a what a little unconnected world we're, we're talking about 30 years ago. Damn. Do you think it's like the reason why it, it could be like that what you're talking about, like it came out last year. How is it like a best-selling game now? Is mm-hmm. just like the nature of playing video games. Like probably you went over to a friend's house yeah. and they had it and mm-hmm. you saw it, but you didn't get a chance yeah. to like really play it. So then you go back and then you buy it. And then that kind of extends have, the have, life cycle. I have of no it, idea like. how Sarah of all people hit the nail on the head there. But yes, and like this is the year <laughs> that they, they, start, they start charting um, – like blockbuster rentals and stuff because yeah. games are expensive and uh, they start, they have to start looking at that because sorry, this matters. Like if this, if people are, even if they're renting the game, it still means this many people are playing this game simultaneously. And that's kind of nuts that we're not charting this yet. 
Well, and, for like an interactive thing like that, like you, people may not want to take a chance on something when it first yeah. comes out, especially when it's so expensive. Oh, yeah. So then you have a friend that's playing it or you see it demoed somewhere. It probably it just extends the time yeah. period for that to actually like chart, which is really interesting. So there's really not any other medium I feel like that would do that. I mean, I, and, yeah, movies I wanted, you can watch once at your friend's house and then, you know, it's like fine. You don't need to watch it again and again. Yeah, but there was still like way fewer movies out available for consumption consumer purchase yeah right you know and so like there's there's just not a lot to purchase as little geeks period and i brought up a mario game being out there. and obviously it's a mario game and that's it's a very good game it's a game you can replay a lot it's longevity is i wanted to bring it up as nintendo will not go unchallenged going into the next month when it comes to platformers starring a mascot because that is all going to change at the end of june and mario will not be literally the only game in town Tease, 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 chili dog fans. It's Sonic. But uh, <laughs> we're coming up on Sonic, and things will start Ooh. to get interesting in that area. Everybody will want their Mario. But you, again, you can hear more about the games, patreon.com slash laser time. We appreciate your support. Sorry about the delay in certain things. But music of 1991, May 28th through June 3rd. I Don't Want to Cry by Mariah Carey, still number one. Oh my God, new releases. Holy, seems like a weird passing of the torch here. Uh, mm-hmm. 1991, new releases include The Smash. Smashing Pumpkins debut Gish. Wow, holy crap. Like I didn't know I didn't know the end of the I remember the end the eighties music extending into like ninety two, ninety three. I didn't know Smashing Pumpkins came up so fast here. Um, I didn't know Smashing Pumpkins were such a huge fan of Annabeth Gish. I mean <laughs> she is very hot, so I kinda get it. Maybe they're just bigger fans of British vaginal pseudonyms <laughs> sorry i'm not gonna look i didn't i don't say it i don't call it that i'm saying the british do please no, do they don't please don't comment no, on this don't. Is it well gash? now i don't get to make my lillian gish show <laughs> fine oh we all had one in the chamber <laughs> go ahead do it do it oh oh i feel gross um i'm gonna let diana say the name of the next album um <laughs> but it's by nwa and uh, it contains a word that, and then followed by for life. Rumor Inside by Richard Thompson. Dick Thompson, who could forget? And uh, Love and Kisses by Danny Minogue. Appetite for Destruction by NWA. That was very confusing to say. Uh, we're going to close out with that um, because I'm guessing that's off of which album, Die? Sarah? Si- <laughs> die? Sarah? Sarah? Die? No? No? Um, look it up, kids. And, <laughs> NWA's second Z. album. And um, words with a Z for yeah. life. Yeah. There you go. No I'm not no. saying it. They can say it all they want in the song, though, and they do. <laughs> <laughs> so bring the kids in um, and yeah. listen, enjoy a little okay. bit of Appetite for Destruction. We'll be right back talking about 2001. Appetite for Destruction. For him to get a bit more shit, he got to commit. Murder in the first degree of manslaughter. Taking the life of his wife and young daughter. A whole city of bitches that look sucked up. And the niggas is killing the straight fucked up. Who understand what I'm saying? Greed denying even what they're trying to feed. My appetite for destruction. Folks, you know us here at the Laser Time Network. We consume a lot of of content for quote-unquote research purposes. (laughs) From games to TV shows to movies, we're always online downloading something, streaming something. But there are times when it's nearly impossible to access a piece of content you want because it isn't available in the U.S. for whatever reason. Oh, those things like annoying licensing deals, geo-restricted servers, or platforms that are just not available in your location make it next to impossible to get your hands on the stuff you want. 
Hey, that's why we couldn't be happier that NordVPN is our sponsor today, and they provide an easy-to-use workaround for all these problems. With over 5,400 servers in 59 countries, they can always find a server to get us access to the game, shows, and movies. We need to do our job. It could not be any simpler to use either. With their auto-connect feature, you can instantly access the fastest VPN solutions out there across a variety of devices, including PC, Android, iOS, Mac, and even more. Hey, maybe even Android TV. Just open a map, click on a location, and you'll be connected in seconds. It is that easy. Is there a game or movie or TV show not available in your country? It's not a problem anymore. Just change your virtual location for access to a variety of international storefronts. You can even do this to access different streaming platforms that may not be available in your home country. Talking to you, Canada. You can find discounts on games, lower streaming subscriptions, and even take advantage of international sales and pricing. So how do you get on this? Easy. Go to nordvpn.com slash lasertime or use the coupon code lasertime to get a two-year plan plus one additional month with a huge discount. And hey, they even have a 30-day money-back guarantee, so you've got nothing to lose. Once again, go to nordvpn.com slash lasertime to use the code lasertime, one word, to get a two-year plan plus one additional month at a huge discount. Thank you, NordVPN. Uh, oh my god, what a terrible intro, but you all know this song. It's been around forever. It's a, it's, a, it's a karaoke standard at this point. Welcome back to 302010, the 2001 segment. We've aged 10 years, and we're coming in with a, a bunch of musicians. Christina Aguilera, Lil' Kim, Maya, and Pink. A uh, super group of ladies singing... I always want to say Lady Marmalade, but I know it's Lady Marmalade. Right. I never no, hear people say it. Lady Marmalade. Lady Marmalade. That's how they say it in the song. Yeah. yeah, I know. I just remember, like on TRL, they never pronounced it that way because this video pre-internet oh. porn was man. Everyone looked real good. Hotsy tutsy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you're like, when does Missy Elliott come back? Oh yeah. It is, it is number one with the body bullets, uh, Lady Marmalade, and it, it, the song's in the movie, right? Yeah. Because this is a cover song. Yes. Yeah. Yes. This this is a cover. And I believe they performed this, I want to say, at the Grammys this year. Mm-hmm. They bring Patti LaBelle out, who sings on the original. And she blows everyone out of the water. And it's hilarious because <laughs> Patti LaBelle has giant pipes, even though Pink and Christina Aguilera have gigantic voices too and still like step back amateurs don't don't shit on my girl maya she's the she's the queen of movie soundtracks doing that rugrats theme and that bullworth theme. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah that's number one this week new music releases for 2001 may 28th to the third you got irresistible by jessica simpson boy oh boy the music okay. scene has changed let me just say as a recommendation, I just read Jessica Simpson's <laughs> autobiography, uh-huh. Open Book, <laughs> and it is fantastic. <laughs> it's so good. Okay, first of all, I cried multiple times reading it. She has been through some shit, y'all. She also no holds bar dishes on horrible men in the industry, oh, including nice. Nick Lachey and the sociopath that is John Mayer. <laughs> Ooh, girl. Oh, that that okay. was what she that was her transition, wasn't it? Uh, she went like right into the arms of John Mayer and Johnny Knoxville. She dishes about all. I mean, you get the tea, sis. It is <laughs> so good. So if you're looking for like a, a fun 
fast summer read open book by Jessica Simpson. Her autobiography is very, very good. Very fun. I might want to because... You should. It's so good. Those GQ pictures of Johnny Knoxville made me feel so old through osmosis. Holy (laughs) Lord. Holy Lord. Something about like going that gray and still wearing vintage clothes. No, you just look like you're unstuck in time. Sorry. Music released in 2001. 20 years ago in 2001. Part 2 by Brad Paisley. Um, You're going to have to listen to part 1 if you want to know what happens here. Uh, Pneumonia by Whiskey Town is also out. Put up, uh, put your hood up by Lil John and Eastside Boys. Self-titled by Stabbing Westward. Break the Cycle by Stained. Uh, Everybody got their something by Nikki Costa is out this week as well. Nikki Costa, I, I think she's very well regarded, like in the music scene. But I only know one song by her, but I love it. Like a feather mm-hmm. is so good. I don't even know how I know that song because I, I don't think it got radio play. Forrest but Gump soundtrack. It, it might have been. I just like. Wait, what soundtrack? <laughs> Forrest Gump. I retract my joke. Please let me leave. <laughs> yeah, the joke stands and it's no, a good one. It's no. a good one. It should have gotten more. It's a great song, so seek it out. It's very fun, very weird. Okay. Um, and then 2001, a little bit of news to bring you into this week. Crown Prince Dependra of Nepal. Uh, opens <laughs> opens fire on a royal family party. Sorry, this is a very cold read. Killing nine of his relatives, including his parents, the king and queen, and two siblings. His uncle became king, and the royal family was abolished in 2008. Holy shit! Why isn't this a Netflix show? Sorry, Soap Dish. Take a back seat. <laughs> I want to know what <laughs> yeah. happened here. Some dude yeah. pulls a Hamlet in like 20 years ago, and we had fucking webcams and everything. Uh, yeah. Starts murdering his family. Good lord. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. The crown prince, the, the next in line to the throne of Nepal, which was a constitutional monarchy. I don't think it was an absolute. But yeah, I get there was something about like, we want you to marry this girl. I don't want to marry this girl. And it's like, this is straight. You're right. It's fucking Hamlet goes crazy with a gun. Yeah. And yeah, murders the king and queen, a couple of his siblings, a couple of his other relatives. You know, they're having like a big confab. And I believe he he shoots himself, but he doesn't die right away. So technically he is oh my king. God. for about a day while he's in a coma and then passes away and then uh his uncle is one of the only people left becomes king and uh yeah he like um, almost immediately starts like we're gonna wrap up this monarchy thing (laughs) oh my god was was this a coup or a tantrum because america just sort of saw something like that it was a tantrum (laughs) that's the thing it ends up being just just a tan- it's a-, a tantrum with a gun, but that's not something you tend to see amongst in the palace in Nepal. <laughs> Holy shit! No, that's the kind of thing you see in an American rail yard or Costco parking lot or yeah. Walmart rest or- area parking lot, yeah. rest area parking lot or synagogue or <laughs> oh god house party or, yeah <laughs> thought you're making a simpsons reference oh my god yeah. I'm, I'm, t- I'm i'm giggling too much over something that is clearly tragic but whatever at yeah. least at least they're only members of the monarchy in a nation our former president referred to as nipple he really did that um mm-hmm. 2001 movies get ready to this is the only depressing information. Pearl Harbor is still number one at the box office. That's a dumb Ooh. thing that happened, and I really don't like that. But the other movies are, oh, God. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, someone started reading Ed. Huh? Uh, yeah. Son of a bitch. Because uh, I remember I wanted All to right. see this movie. It got terrible reviews. Billy Zane, Angela, Lin- Linval, and Jeremy Davies in CQ. All right, so CQ mm. is written and directed by Roman Coppola. That's yep. another of the Francis Ford's kids, uh, Sophia's brother. And... 
it got some okay reviews and I was like, well, let's try it. You know, like it has kind of a cult following. So I watched it and it's mostly about Jeremy Davies is a film editor in 1969 in Paris. And he's working on this movie and, but he wants to be a real artist. And, Oh, I don't know about this relationship with this wonderful woman who's super loving. And I'm going to start, you know, sniffing my own farts and wanting to be an, (laughs) an artist. And I was like, I don't care except there is one thing that makes this movie kind of awesome. Mm-hmm. The movie that he is working on is this letter perfect recreation of a sort of Euro trash spy fantasy movie from the time. So Barbarella or Danger Diabolic. And it is mm. so fucking fun. It makes me angry. So I ended up like I was watching this and I'm like, oh, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. Oh, my God. There is a lady spy who lives on top of the Eiffel Tower in what turns out to be a spaceship wearing white leather. And she's got a video phone that tells her she needs to go to the moon to stop the rebels led by Billy Zane. And (laughs) the guy is played by John Philip Law, also from Barbarella and Danger Diabolic. And she's got like a white spinny bed. And and she's got a supercar with lots of lights. And I'm like, that part is so fucking fun. I wish he had just made that movie. Just make the movie within the movie. It would have been hilarious. Wow. So it's free on like Tubi or one of those. And <laughs> honestly, you can kind of skip all the Jeremy Davies. I'm I'm a sad artist part. Some of it's okay. But the, the, re- the recreation of the 70s like Italian camp is so fucking fun. That's so fun. I'm sorry. Does Jeremy Davies ever not play a sad boy? <laughs> no. No, that's his job. That's he's just how his face that. is shaped. <laughs> yeah. I end up like I'm watching this. My husband comes in. He's like, what'd you watch? And I describe it to him. And he's like, can I see? And I went back and just started scrubbing through just the, <laughs> just the movie within a movie. And he's like, that is awesome. Like there's a gun that freezes people and someone turns out to be a robot. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's like all the shit that you want from that kind of, you know, Operazione Dynamite kind of movie. <laughs> All to make the, the previous last episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000. Exactly. Uh, those parts of CQ are great. That takes probably half an hour if you want to just scrub, scrub through the movie and just watch those parts because they're really fun. And we also have this week, who oh boy. Not Ber- fun! <laughs> Bernie Mac, Danny DeVito, Martin Lawrence in What's the Worst That Could Happen? I would think a title like that. that <laughs> it's pretty awful. Don't set up critics like that. June 1st, the burglar gets busted. What's your name, Petey Wonder? Stevie's little brother. The billionaire gets greedy. I robbed the thief. Here, come on down. Let it go, Kevin. Seven million dollars worth of art and antiques. Uh, I'll drive. Hand me my keys. And it's winner take all. How are you guys going to get inside this time? Baladam, baladam. Oh, yeah. Who's the something in translation? What's the worst that could happen? Can I see my lawyer? Ready, PG. <laughs> uh, I, I saw a little bit of this like a year ago, and I'm like, I, I still can't. Ugh, can't believe this is. Is there any culture John Logazamo is not allowed to portray? It's. <laughs> <laughs> He's done oh, it all. Hey, we're going. He's going two for this week. Yeah. Wow. No, he's going two for in one segment. Yeah. yeah. Playing playing a French guy next. Wow. What's the worst that could happen? This movie, huge, uh, huge bomb. Martin Lawrence movies generally pretty dependable. Uh, yeah. Usually don't cost cool. that much. Um, he's a funny guy. Can easily carry a movie. And who would have thought pairing him with Danny DeVito? <laughs> pairing him against Danny seems, DeVito. It seems like a lot of it. Like I love the idea. You know, yes. it, it's sort of like how Blue Streak was a riff where he had to, you know, come up with these different characters to try to get into a building to get his property back. Mm-hmm. This one, he's a burglar. Danny DeVito catches him. The cops take him when he takes his ring. And that makes Martin Lawrence 
swear revenge to mm-hmm. get his ring back from Danny DeVito. And then it just gets too complicated with too many freaking characters. Mm. There's just too much going on. Like, I just want to see the head-to-head, man. Yeah, yeah, they're they're off screen. They're away from each other for too long. I think that would be real fun to watch them square off against one another. Yeah. Um, man. man, and we, uh, Deuce Bigelow fans, you're in for a real treat. Looking at you, Sarah. Uh, Ed Asner, John C. McGinley, Colleen Haskell, and Rob Schneider in The Animal. I'm trying to do my best South Park there. Meet Marvin Mage. Dimples got out again. I let him out. He's not the man he used to be. He's a whole new breed. I put animal pots in you. Somebody help my boy! From the producing team of Big Daddy, Rob Schneider is... Is that your goat? The Animal. How's it going? (laughs) Yeah, going on. I'm not laughing. I'm laughing at the movie, not You are laughing so hard right now. (laughs) You have to see this trailer. Like, when you think, like... There's no way this movie existed. There's no way this type of movie existed. And it was a genre unto itself. South Park made a great parody of just like, Rob Schneider is One, We picked one thing before we started writing the script, and Rob Schneider's that. A carrot! <laughs> and then a carrot just falls down the stairs. It's, <laughs> it is, this is exactly that. It is so dumb and looks so expensive. <laughs> I mean, I feel like if your trailer has wild thing, <laughs> that is a bad sign. What about for wild things? It didn't use that song. But this movie is terrible. Here, here's I'm, I'm a little I'm, I'm a little bit of a lapsed Adam Sandler fan, and Rob Schneider was mostly famous for Adam Sandler movies. Do you know what I'm talking about? He'd pop up in every Adam Sandler movie yes. and say, "What, Diana, Sarah?" You can do it. You can do it. From the water boy on, he did that in like five movies. So this is Rob Snyder's second solo outing. So Adam Sandler shows up to play his character. Time to die, man beast. You can do it. Cut his freaking balls off. (laughs) I thought that was very cute. It was like the only thing I liked about the movie. I mean, Uh, it's nice when friends support each other. Yes, that Sandler played Snyder's character to keep the recurring joke going. It would not have been as funny if Rob Schneider did it. Last but hardly leastly, um, one, right. of the, one of the most ambitious movies of the year. Yeah, Richard Roxburgh, Jim Broadbent, John Leguizamo, Ewan McGregor, Nicole Kidman, uh, and Baz Luhrmann's Moulin Rouge. Come and get me, boys. Every man wanted her. A star. But one man dared to love her. I can't fall in love with anyone. Can't fall in love? From the visionary director of William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. From music. The magic. Of Moulin Rouge. Only in theaters. You gotta hear the song again. Yeah, Moulin Rouge. Uh, I don't know. How do you guys feel? I'm guessing you guys don't like this movie. This is one of my favorite movies of all time. Oh, God. Oh, I didn't see that coming at all. I didn't see that coming at all. Uh, I, I, Sarah, my, my history with this movie goes that I lived with my sister at the time, mm-hmm. still to this day in musical theater, despite having a real job. And this was on all the time. Musical theater is a real job, but go ahead. I mean, we're, we don't live in a town where that you could support yourself on a musical She has theater. a day job. Yeah, day job does musical theater to this day. And I sometimes I support her. Sometimes she wears me out on certain films and i know what's mm. this this movie because i just i'd never seen it in widescreen 
I mean, uh, on a widescreen because we had you know a square television back when this was on DVD. This is beautiful, a beautiful film. Gorgeous. Uh, yeah, it's 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 only the the CG that bugs me, like the punctuation of CG every so often. But uh, I well, lo- that's not so bad because no. it, it almost feels bad on purpose. Like mm. oh. also, you forgot to credit <laughs> Kylie Minogue. Did I as the oh. Green Fairy? Right. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm just a bigger. Fa- I, I I've rediscovered my love for Romeo and Juliet. I fucking love that movie. That movie's insane. <laughs> uh, but this this never stuck this the same insane. way with me. Yeah. yeah. This movie sometimes makes me feel crazy. It's, <laughs> it's, it is chaotic, like for oh, yes. sure, and it is gorgina. It's so pretty to look at, mm-hmm. and yeah. I, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. I watch it a couple times a year. This movie, I saw it for the first time December 27th How do you... of 2001. What? Gosh. Because I was at a reunion of oh, my knew... friends from Nerd Camp. I knew it was going to be like Bible Camp 9-11 or something. And <laughs> we were all at uh, one of our friends' house in Georgia. And we watched this movie. And then I got my first kiss. <laughs> Oh, oh that re- 20 years ago? Come on. <laughs> what were you waiting for? This is a little bit of a late bloomer, okay. y'all. I went to nerd camp. <laughs> I actually associate this movie to me in my mind as a, as a Christmas movie because it was during that, you know, it was right after Christmas that I watched it. And like the colors and the spectacle of it all kind of puts it as a Christmas movie for me. So I watch it every year, like around the holidays, I would, actually. I would like you to relay huh. the plot to me because I always saw it out of order because my sister was just watching it on repeat. And I remember the first thing she brought me in for, like, you want to hear him do Nirvana? I'm like, what? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, so <laughs> good. And, and so I don't like know. I've never seen it all in at once. I really haven't, yeah. but I've seen bits and pieces huh. a thousand times. So Nicole Kidman plays Satine, who she is a courtesan in the Moulin Rouge, which is like basically a burlesque show that they, you know, she sings, she dances. There's like a bunch of women. They dance with the men who come in and want to dance with her. And it's a huge spectacle, but it's on the verge of being shut down. So Jim Broadbent is kind of the boss and he wants her to seduce this Duke in order to get his money in order to keep the Moulin Rouge going and maybe even upgrade the facilities. Um, They want to tear us down and build a mini mall. We should not let them. (laughs) She lives inside of a giant hollowed out elephant. My dream house, basically. (laughs) So in the meantime, Ewan McGregor is a penniless writer who comes to Moulin Rouge to be inspired by the Bohemian lifestyle. And along the way meets John Leguizamo, who's playing Toulouse-Lautrec. And they kind of dress him up in fancy clothes and through a comedy of errors, Satine thinks that Uma McGregor is the Duke she's supposed to seduce. In reality, no, it's a, a gross guy. And so she like <laughs> tries to seduce him and then it all comes out it's like, oh my God. But then they fell in love. And then the real Duke is like a real piece of shit. She has to pretend that she's in love with him. Well, meanwhile, she's having a passionate love affair with Uma McGregor, the penniless writer. But oh no, is she coughing? Oh, no, look at her handkerchief. <laughs> it has blood on it. She's got consumption, y'all. It's not good. <laughs> but she can sing right up to the she end. She can sing right up to the end. And right she's singing up. in Ewan McGregor's face that whole time, and I have bad news about <laughs> how tuberculosis is spread. It's true. It's true. It's, uh, it's not good. But at least he lives long enough to write her story. Right. And, yes, it's a tragic 
tragic love affair that happens and it's a spectacle and it's gorgeous and it's the music is phenomenal like a virgin that whole <laughs> that whole scene i love it so much like it's so well done the way they do like a virgin i don't even want to spoil yeah. it if you haven't seen it because it's not what you think it is and it's even better than you think it's going yeah. to be turning like a virgin into a comedy number is pretty great oh, so a lot of people were like why is it all music from like recent music you know mm -hmm. why why what's with the anachronistic music why don't they sing songs from the time and it's like because songs from the time aren't sexy enough mm -hmm. well uh, there's some exceptions mm -hmm. but yeah from 1899 you know a lot of songs you can sing along to from 1899 no you don't so <laughs> is bez lerman being his lermaniest this yes. is even more than Romeo and Juliet, this is yes. as Lermany as you're going to get. It's very much his aesthetic. His partner did the costumes and the production design, which are phenomenal. Flawless. Flawless. Uh, they are really, it is a fucking spectacle. Um, but uh -oh. <gasps> how uh -oh. dare you? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so I have always had a couple of problems with this movie. It's like, it's so close to being something that I love because there is so much and it's so fucking different that, of course, I love that. But the editing, hmm. why you feel like you're going crazy is because the editing goes too goddamn fast. Every shot lasts like a third of a second less than it should. And it goes by so fast that hmm. sometimes you can't even tell what you're looking at. You just get the impression. Mm -hmm. And that might be what they're going for. I think but so. It's I dramatic. want the time to savor some of that. It's just the tiniest bit because the, it actually takes time for a vision to go from the screen to my eyeball, to my retina, to my brain, and my brain realize what I'm looking at. And by the time I've done that, it, three shots have gone by and I don't get to appreciate any of mm. them. The times where it slows down that just a tiny bit are the best parts of the movie. Mm. Also, they're like isn't enough second act for how long the second act runs it is so it's always longer than i think it's going to be like every <laughs> yeah. time i sit down to watch it i'm like so excited i'm always like yeah there's a lot more I'll to this settle in for I the think. evening oh it's only it's over two hours oh goodness yeah mm. yeah and they could have cut about 10 minutes right pretty much right in the middle and it'd be good because the whole like they're in love but they're hiding it from the duke that kind of goes around the track a couple too many times mm -hmm. for me or mm -hmm. like I know. Could we we just get could we get to it? Could we just please move along? No, I get it. And I've seen that. You've done that nice shot panning past the windmill a couple times now. Please get on with it. It's like like so many Baz Luhrmann movies. I wish he set up the whole movie and then got really sick on the first day of shooting. <laughs> <laughs> I want someone else to complete it for him. <laughs> but this is the most Baz Luhrmann Baz Luhrmann movie. Oh, by I'm, I'm a little really a little curious why he didn't. He went. He he went real lo-fi after this, and then did a Great Gatsby remake, but has not revisited mm -hmm. what, what also, could be a, a genre he ended up defining. Um, yeah, I I don't know why he went from this to Australia, yeah, it's, which it's is real strange. underwhelming. And Great Gatsby, <laughs> which is whelming, and you know he also did a stage production of La Boheme, which mm -hmm. I think was pretty well received, but I don't really know because I didn't go to see it, so I don't know. You're right about the editing. I do think that's a choice, though. And part of it, I mean, is because the whole experience, I think, is supposed to be very dreamlike, very surreal. 
especially mm. with like the editing, the CGI, and also like a big theme of the movie is absinthe. <laughs> They're drinking <laughs> a lot of absinthe. <laughs> so Kylie Minogue plays the green fairy who is basically oh, wow. that, that was uh, a slang term for absinthe. And Toulouse Lautrec was a famously a absinthe drinker, which might have led to his death, or at least oh. contributed to it. I I do think that that like frenetic energy is like kind of supposed to mimic that feeling of what it was like to be a bohemian at that time, where you're just like things things are wild, y'all. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I mean, uh, a lot of musical numbers I I really like. I think you McGregor and and Nicole Kidman are both really good i mm-hmm. mean nicole kidman i think her singing's a little bit sweet and digitally you mm-hmm. mcgregor he's sung plenty we we know he can sing i don't know i feel like people there are people who like this movie and it seems like they don't like the scenes that i like the most mm. but doing roxanne as a tango i love that and there's so many people like that sucks i'm like what what are you talking about or like doing who like a virgin that? as a comedy me. number I'm like Keep that's going. the best <laughs> what are it's you talking so about good. points for originality that it is just yeah i can't really tell you another example of a movie like this no even other musicals yeah. so it is ah can only think of the, the greatest showman sure. um just because it again i have not, I've not seen all of both but it just seems a similar time period which the greatest showman hmm yeah i feel like there's with, a little bit of with modern with modern songs and all that stuff and um but done as very very big musical a little bit greatest showman is definitely much more conventional yeah mm-hmm. um but i have also i have a pet theory that jim broadbent won an oscar because of this and not because of the movie he got an oscar for <laughs> what movie did he because get an oscar for he gets a mo- he gets an oscar for 2001 for a movie called iris that we haven't talked about yet right. which is super depressing about yeah, a yeah. husband and wife and she's got dementia and he's wonderful in it of course because he's jim broadbent he can do everything but it is so polar opposite to what he is doing here, which I can't imagine anyone else in that role. <laughs> he is so big and oh. so insane. Mm-hmm. And I think the the two together made people go like, oh, shit, that guy's really good, <laughs> which will, duh. And he'll eventually be our anchor in Cloud Atlas. Let's give him an Oscar. <laughs> oh man you can't stop talking about cloud atlas man cloud atlas this cloud atlas that come on life is, life is just a series of cycles it's like how can you not see it yeah moulin rouge is well i would have brought up topsy turvy where he's gilbert or sullivan i always forget which but he's so good in that too but it's like if that guy drank too much absinthe and went insane yeah <laughs> yeah pretty much yeah the roxanne scene is just genius like the movie is genius, just like completely, like the reimagining of everything, the love medley, the the songs that he picked for the love medley, like it's so so <laughs> good. Like I just I I just love every minute of this. I totally understand your criticisms, and I don't disagree with them, mm. but I still love it so much. I st- I I wouldn't want it to be any different, certainly. And it really, there's nothing else like it. Moulin Rouge, man. I can so I can good. unify your hatred towards something else for something I researched for a project I was doing. Um, Ian McGregor stayed put in Australia because uh, Moulin Rouge went over production over time, and it had to Tell make surprise. It had to make yeah. way. Uh, it had to shoot in Spain to like to like try and approximate those beautiful big sets, but ran so over their time 
This could be apocryphal, but I'm pretty sure I saw footage of it. They had to very quickly make way for another big production coming into that that Australian studio, and that would be Attack of the Clones. And so they Mm. rip apart those beautiful sets because they had been there Mm. way too long to make way for, I would guess, the biggest green screen you'd ever seen. And because <laughs> that movie is fucking terrible. It's one of the worst films I've ever seen. And there's almost no real shots in it. I don't understand why they couldn't have a giant hollow elephant. In <laughs> yeah, Return of the that. Clones. Yeah, Attack yeah. of the Clones. Return of the Clones. Perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Star Wars I'm a, not just familiar a, with. <laughs> there's a perfect girlfriend pronunciation of that movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like uh, Cartoon Swim. I don't know <laughs> <laughs> Stop it. Oh, God. Uh, but yeah. this, this is the so, one I was looking the most forward to revisiting, and I didn't get time for it, and I really wish yeah. I had. Yeah. It was, I mean, I really thought, like, I, I haven't seen it in better part of 20 years, but I, I feel like I know what I'm talking about. And then watched it again. I was like, okay, the parts that I really like, I love now, and the parts mm-hmm. that I don't like, I'm just sort of like, well, wait for the parts you like. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> Yeah, you can just like get up and like go to the bathroom or like get another glass of wine or absinthe like during those parts <laughs> that you don't like. You know and what? I will watch this with you if we drink a lot of absinthe. <gasps> that seems like a great idea. What, a, what a theme. But you, you can't get the good absinthe. I know. So you can get absinthe, but it doesn't have the psychoactive stuff in it. I do love, though, any sort of drink that involves a lot of accoutrement. Like you got to get the oh, like yeah. the little spoon and the sugar and the little special like glassware that goes with it. I'm into all that. So, you yeah, listening, sponsors? It. We have a type. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> booze. <laughs> Hit us with your booze. Yeah, that's what we recommend it. Man, okay. It's different. And to keep on keep and on. It's a, gay as hell, of course. To keep on a rolling in a television, man. Okay, wait. What? No, I have to. I'm I'm gonna Go make it, you sorry. hate this movie for one thing. It has one character of color. Yes. What's his name? I don't want to uh. say it. Yeah. Don't make me. His name up. is Chocola. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh, not, that's not great. Cancel. Okay. Okay. It's, yeah. I cancel. Believe, but I believe it, I remember, it translates. To, I, re- tra- I remember watching this with my friends in 2001 on December 27th, and my friend Alexa being like, "Did they just call him Chocola?" And I was like, hold "We're on, all on. like, oh my god, I think <laughs> they did." Like, yes, this was discussed. <laughs> Hold on. I believe the full name is La Chocolade, which translates to the chocolate, which makes it worse. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Transitioning into television. And oh, man, if you you were like me and decided to watch this year's MTV Movie Awards, Movie and TV Awards, what a great title that just rolls off the tongue. It was uh, was a cavalcade of drink when you don't recognize someone. <laughs> uh, but th- this is back when I was oh so excited about the MTV Movie Awards. One of my, I would say easily my favorite award show of the year. Um, and who was they're who, silly because yeah. they're silly. They're silly. They come with sketches, and they still they still do. But like most of, the, I believe many of the producers that made this possible have just been hired by like the Grammys and the Oscars to make them watchable too. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in stupid stupid categories, but. Uh, they would always get the, the cool celebrities to show up because they were always promoting summer programming. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. a bunch of people would be there. But here we got uh, Jimmy Fallon and Kirsten Dunst hosting. I remember this. Well, of course, we have the Moulin Rouge team performed with Sarah Dave Matthews Band and Weezer also performing. So I, I mean, you're just 
this is my high school. I think experience. they rang all, all your bells. There you go. And this is a this is a mix CD that I probably still have in my car right now. Actually, <laughs> I also <laughs> love this about the awards: the utter meaninglessness of them. Even though it did mirror the Oscars, Gladiator won Best Movie over Crouching Tiger. Happy Diana. There you go. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then Best Male Performance: Tom Cruise, Mission Impossible Two. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> is this is this the words that has the the skit with Jimmy Fallon as Tom Cruise? Yeah, yeah, I believe, yes. Oh, so perfect. Uh, best female performance, Aaron Brockovich as Aaron Brockovich. Um, you know what I mean. Julia Roberts. Breakthrough male performance, Sean Patrick Thomas, Save the Last Dance. Breakthrough female, Erica Christensen, Traffic. We now see them every day. Of course they are. <laughs> best villain, Jim Carrey, <laughs> uh, The Grinch. And best comedic performance, what? Ben Stiller, Meet the Parents. Yeah, he beat out... Um, Anthony Hopkins and <laughs> and Vincent D'Onofrio in the cell. In the cell. So you're telling me that the Grinch <laughs> beat a psycho killer in like one of the most disturbing movies that I've ever seen. Best in- musical sequence: Piper Perabu from Coyote Ugly. What beating Jack Black and uh, let his Let's Get It On performance from High Fidelity. Don't Come care for on. that. <clears throat> Tonys, Tonys. I'm really trying to burn through TV here because we have a re- like a really Ooh. important one. I think for us specifically, I can't wait to talk about it. Tony's co-hosted by Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick, who are in a little play no one can remember. A funny thing happened on the way to the Mel Brooks adaptation. No, really. <laughs> it, it, uh, I, I don't know much about theater here. If anybody can chime in on anything they remember seeing. The Producers wins Best Musical. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I've heard of that. Wins for Best Revival of a Play. Um, I cannot believe that's a category. That's like the Oscars having Best Remake. And yeah, <laughs> kind of, yeah. Proof wins best best play. Forty Second Street wins best revival. Not for me. It wins uh, best beer. Proof. Sorry, this yeah. is too big. Remember, right? I think the producers just just sweeps just pretty much everything. Yep. Mm-hmm. A- yeah, including the hosts. <laughs> so okay, uh, and yeah. this is notable because Unwrapped premieres on Food Network. Is this the yeah. how it's made? No, I think that's literally how it's made. No, it's the how it's made of food, basically with, with Mark with, Summers. Um, with Mark Summers, okay. yeah, and I, it went for a really long time, actually, exactly ten years. <laughs> I will see in a second. My, I remember my roommates when I moved in with someone I did not know. He TVO'd nothing but NCIS in this. Wow, and I hated both these shows so much. <laughs> Unwrapped mostly because I looked at Mark Summers' narration. Like, are you positive this isn't a Mister Rogers episode? Like I this, was just about to say that. Like, every episode reminds me of that Mr. Rogers episode where you get to see how crayons are made. Yes, yes. Uh, I could watch I that footage all it. day. Let's watch it when, it, when it, let's, let's group watch that when it's over. And the yes. big the big one for, uh, I believe, us, um, a, a yes. very notable debut on HBO. I think, I really think this is, I talked about it in the episode of the, the show, The Tangler's coming up, where we talk about the debut of HBO. HBO had shows before The Sopranos, or more notably mm-hmm. Oz, but they were, mostly shows that were seemingly pitched to other networks and then added boobies into them. Nobody <laughs> remembers First in 10 or Hardcore TV or the Paper Chase, the TV show. <laughs> but those are, that's like what HBO's airing. And then after Sopranos, it really changes. They make Sunday's appointment programming mm-hmm. and at the end of Sopranos debuts a brand new show. Ooh, and it fills so me full of, full of wonder. Uh, Matthew St. Patrick, Freddie Rodriguez, Lauren Ambrosia, uh, Francis Conroy, Michael C. Hall, Rachel Griffiths, Peter Crossy, and eventually, Jesus, like Rain Wilson and James Cromwell. Uh, come on, get to the horns, people. There you go. Um, I experienced my first Such HBO Max hardcore crash with rewatching the debut of Six Feet Under, a show oh, I'm man. always conflicted in talking about. So that theme, by the way, by Thomas Newman is. Yes. 
perfect. Yes. Just mm. absolutely perfect. Yeah, Six Feet Under is a really important TV show to me. Really important. Yeah, like, I, I, kind of formative. I honestly. stand by my love for it. I just I sometimes don't know if it's worth recommending because it is so white people mopey fart sniffy for for some of it. <laughs> it is. And, in a way, but but rewatching yeah, rewatching but... rewatching this episode, if we're keeping it in the neighborhood, the David and Keith stuff was like unlike anything I'd ever seen on television. Yes, and 100%. and and seems very first of its kind. If mm-hmm. and from like the first like ten minutes of the show, you're like, man, this guy's uptight, probably closeted gay, very much is, and has not told his family. And this is what happens when his partner shows up to his father's funeral and has to be introduced to his family for the first time as. A good friend, and mm. and it just seems like he, it, you forget that twenty years ago that was you know pretty common for couples yeah. like that that having to go through that. But I, I still, I personally love the show. I feel like I'm every, I have something in common with every character. I, mm. I feel like all oh, these man. characters yeah. all the time. So yeah. yeah, so this show is is an extremely important show to me. So early on, when I I think I've talked about with Seinfeld, mm-hmm. when I saw Elaine Bennis for the first time. On Seinfeld, I thought, oh, my God, that is the type of woman I want to be. And I had never seen a woman like that on TV before. And that was, like, kind of my goal in life. Six Feet Under, when I started watching that and I saw the character Brenda played by Rachel Griffiths, I thought, oh, my God, here's another woman on TV that I've never seen before. That that she is saying all the things that I think about. And she is, like, acting the way that I imagine, like, I will act as an adult. Like, she really embodied, like a picture of womanhood that I had not seen before that was very, it felt real. It felt like home to me. Like she really embodied the type of woman that I don't know. It, it felt like that was, she was really speaking well, to me as like a young woman and, and her. She's, she's very self-assured mm-hmm. and has kind of psychoanalyzed everyone around her, like all mm-hmm. the time. And is kind of, she's very insightful about other people in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. Uh, I really hope you Art patterning your life after her. I I, I, I personally <laughs> hope Sarah does sleep with two college kids and how she shares with her husband and, and kid. <laughs> but I, no. she she's, she she yeah, has a not. lot of the earmarks of the manic pixie dream girl, except that she has like a very long resume that like nah, she's actually like a very smart person with a family mm. of psychiatrists who have probably yeah. tortured her beyond belief without mm. knowing it. I mean, yes, the problematic parts of her personality and stuff, obviously, you wouldn't want to emulate. But, you know, her self-assuredness, she's brilliant. She's very clear about, like, what she wants. She completely rejects a traditional idea of femininity and what it's like to be a woman dating in the world or wanting a family, not wanting a family. Like, she just presented a different idea of womanhood that I had not seen anywhere else. And that resonated more with me than anything else I was seeing on TV at the time. True. And you're so right about that. And I, that's me doing my Nate um, from this episode. Oh, okay. <laughs> because Nate, oh, Nate, was a, Nate was a character. I need to talk about <laughs> yeah. Nate. Oh, the worst character? <laughs> first, first I'm going to go back and talk about, yeah, Michael C. Hall as David. Uh, doing, you know, research about this and finding seriously 20 years of some of them academic articles about how this is like one of the first main characters who is gay, who is depicted realistically. Mm-hmm. Also, he's in an interracial relationship, which is also depicted with like, th- there's thought put into it. You know, mm-hmm. he's a real character and 
you know, it's like part of the sort of the normalization of just like his problems are the same as everyone else's problems. It's just he likes dudes. Yeah, except except the government won't let him have kids. And- yeah, and, I mean, <laughs> and then also- then it gets into yeah, it's about like trying to adopt kids and trying to be yeah. a family, and they can't get married yet because stupid. But okay, here's the thing about Peter Krause as Nate. I don't think I have ever seen this particular kind of guy depicted so well before. Yeah. He's almost never depicted depicted let alone depicted well mm-hmm. and i know this guy because i dated this guy mm. and now i hate this guy and i stay mm-hmm. away from mm-hmm. him as much as possible because he is a sensitive ponytail guy he doesn't yes! have a ponytail but i bet he did in college and a goatee yeah. and he thinks that he is a good person because of all the things he isn't mm-hmm. like i'm i'm not materialistic i care about the environment i'm not mean to women but he's just as much of an asshole mm-hmm. as every sexist pig who drives a fancy car. He rejects traditional ideas about machismo, but is not any better for it. Like, you know, he's not a better person just because he like doesn't present as like a macho dude. He's more like sensitive, quote unquote, which he's actually not at all. He's not sensitive in any way. He's not, he doesn't really think beyond the end of his own dick. And so- And and he is filled with, he thinks it's self-reflection and it's actually- uh rationalization most of the time and he does terrible things then he feels bad about them and then he gets mad that people are mad at him because like well i'm making i'm beating myself up so i guess i've suffered enough and it's like that's not the same as not doing the bad thing or really apologizing and making amends he's actually a selfish dick disguised as a nice guy and that's why i like Brenda's character. Oh, so good though, because they never depict that. Like yeah. you would expect this character to be like all good because he's part of the main character and he comes into this crazy family and he's trying to fix their shit. And no, he's just as fucked up as the rest of them, if not more so. so well, HBO th- is HBOing all over the place this, with their uh, flawed main characters. But this that's feels like a I bad love- time to bring up I relate to Nate the most. Uh, no. <laughs> but but what, whatever. Again, a very, Kel a, very, a yep. very relatable character for someone at my age at the time who's way closer to my age now. Yeah. Mm. But that's why I love Brenda so much in Mm. contrast to his character because she is extremely self-aware, like almost Mm. to a fault as well, and unapologetic to a fault. I mean, Mm -hmm. she she does not do that like, oh, I did a bad thing. Like, I'm so sorry. She's just like, yeah, people fuck up and I fucked up or whatever. You know, Mm -hmm. this is just who I am. And that is something that I also had never seen depicted on television before that I really, really liked. But going back and watching this now, because Sam and I rewatched the first episode and then got totally sucked in it. Now we're watching it all. (laughs) I realized, holy shit, I am actually the David of my family. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh-oh. Which is like really depressing. <laughs> but well, I, I, I think I'm coming to terms with it. At, at, at this point, I feel like I've, I've exhibited characteristics of a lot of the family. And I know that's yeah. that doesn't make the show, because yeah. especially watching like uh, Ruth, the mother this time, who is sort of one of my favorite characters, is kind of just notable for whispering until she screams in every episode. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I feel like that a lot Francis when I when I'm going Royce. through my my passive periods. I go through my periods where I feel like I'm responsible for the whole family. I go through periods like fuck my whole family. I want to do something extreme and crazy to be mm. more like Claire. So yeah, Claire is the only character I never really identified with because mm-hmm. I was never a rebellious teenager. I just like that wasn't really my jam. Sarah never um, did meth in the first episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
No, that was not part of my history. But yeah, Frances Conroy's portrayal of the the matriarch is just really good and really theatrical, like almost play-like in a way, which is really interesting because sometimes it feels really out of place or awkward. But I think that kind of like goes to her character as like never quite knowing what her place is, like in society, in her family, especially Mm. after the the father dies. That's how the show show begins with the patriarch of this family who (laughs) owns a mortuary a family mortuary dying and who's the actor we love Richard him. Williams uh, Jenkins Jenkins Richard sorry. Jenkins thank you <laughs> not the animator up. Richard Williams <laughs> I wish but also too like this show spoke to me a lot in 2001 when I was in high school because it I mean Alan Ball is gay and this show is a gay show like i mean the majority of the relationships depicted are heterosexual but the set it is a very gay sensibility about it like Hmm. just i can't really point put my finger on it it's ineffable in a way there are elements of camp certainly also in the show but it is it has a very gay sensibility and it's something that i latched on to when i was watching it and i couldn't even like put it into words and then watching it again now i'm like I don't know. This is just a gay show. Like I don't. I don't know. What, like how else to put it? Like it. It has a very like it, the sensibility, the taste, the way that it, things are portrayed. It feels LBGT. I, I think it feels very queer. I to think. Me. I think those are the moments of the show that will be the least embarrassing as things move forward. Because it was that's the that's the one thing I remember about the show. Literally seeing for the first time, and a bunch of the other stuff is like. Man, these people don't have real problems and like make a mess of everything. It makes, but I, 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 I'm telling I mean, you, I'm talking to someone who, yeah. who loves the show and I love everything about it, but I, I always have a hard time revisiting it nowadays. I think, I think it was just the first, sometimes I, I, this is a slight, but like we give it a lot of credit because it was the first, it's like the first thinky show I've ever seen in my whole life that is like just <laughs> about serious introspection and like what it's like to be alive, not unlike what Alan Ball did with writing American Beauty. And like, what do we all really want? And like, what type, who are we trying to be? And I just don't remember a lot of shows really talking, frankly, about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that you bring up American Beauty because that's why I stayed away from this for a couple of years, even though just about everyone I knew told me that I would find it really interesting because it's so much about the characters and the psychology and how they deal with each other and how they deal with their lives and change and all that. I went, because they're saying, oh, it's from the writer of American Beauty. And I was like, nope. Because I, I took that, that to be about upper middle class ennui, and I don't care. And I mean, We're, honestly, these guys are kind of like upper working class. Yeah, well, I, I, I think mean, only because only because they live where they work, Bob's Burger style. Uh, but they make they make know. bank. They make bank. Please. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that they are closer to blue collar than white collar as far mm-hmm. as the way yeah. that their work is portrayed. I mean, it's it's. More so, later on, they'll start, start throwing around figures. People trust me. They're, they got they got money. They're, yeah, <laughs> yes, but that okay. I didn't mean to, to belittle anything. I really do love right. the show. But yeah, we're also not saying if you have money, that means you have no problems. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, just all have, my problems are money. Yeah, if you have some, it means you have easier ways to deal with your problems. Mm, Certain but problems you still have problems, but other problems not so much. But yeah, I mean, so many of the themes I do feel can be universal if we 
take away a lot of the trappings of, you know, the HBO, the HBO-ness of it all. But I also think, too, I mean, the show deals a lot with death, which is yeah. really interesting and exciting. And, yeah, and, and more, more frankly than, like, a, a ton of other shows. There's that, Absolutely. there's oh, yeah. the surface area, like, oh, we're so sorry for your loss. I think he hunted a lot. He liked the cedar model over here to the cynical, like, this is all stupid. Why are we even doing this, David? They don't deserve an open <laughs> casket funeral. No one wants to look at that fucking face. Why pump any more money into this business? The <laughs> whole death industry is so interesting to me and yeah. i just absolutely love that this this whole show is like based around it because it did kind of open a lot of people's eyes up i think to that whole industry and like what it's like to actually work in it like most people can't even conceive of like being around dead bodies all the mm-hmm. time and this is you know portrayed as like this is their job and this is their calling for in in some and the ways first, the and, first season is, well, is can be then- gross yeah. Like with or, or that it isn't their calling that because right. it's a family business they feel trapped in it right responsible is, my, my, some of my criticism sort of, of the show is that like they really walk away from that by like the third se- season it like doesn't matter where they work they rarely ever talk about it it's more about who they are which is just the natural evolution of things well sure mm-hmm. But, but I no. also, I mean, just even on an entertainment level, mm-hmm. the conceit of opening with a death every yeah. week is so, so fun. <laughs> like it, it turns into like kind of a, oh my God, who's going to be the dead person here? Because it just, every episode opens with a person a you don't, a, you, usually a person you don't know. I don't want to spoil yes. anything later down the line. Usually and, not involving any of the main characters mm-hmm. um, and something's going on and someone dies by the end of that cold open basically. And that's the dead body that's in the show that they're like, you know, doing a funeral for or whatever. And so it, <laughs> they get so creative yeah. with the deaths. <laughs> My absolute favorite one that I think about all the time is when all the blow up dolls and yes. raise into the air. Yes. I think about that all the time. <laughs> like, that, okay. that image is so indelible in my mind. I like, have three. I have three. That's one of mine. Uh, that when yeah. the guy thinks it's the rapture, runs out of his car, runs across the street because he sees, oh, it's sex dolls for like an AVN awards. <laughs> yes. And they Filled all with like, are inflated and somehow they all start rising into like, I, I can't remember exactly how that happens. It's great. It opens with like what's essentially a short film that could be 30 seconds to I think up to 10 minutes Mm -hmm. uh, of of this person you may never see. It was just the body the the Fishers are dealing with throughout the rest of the show. So one time my favorite was guy walks out of his house, something falls from the sky, just dies and we find out it's like like the blue shit that falls from an airplane just landed on him. And like, it's just, that's it. They, we find out later that's what happened. And then the other one was like a a woman in a call center telemarketer talking to this guy. I think we want to up your insurance. And he's like fucking around with his oven and like leaving the gas Mm -hmm. on too long. And we're just ready to watch this guy explode. Then we cut back to the woman in the call center and a mass shooter starts running through the call center and firing a shotgun into (laughs) everyone. And it's, I know it's uncomfortable subject matter, but as, in terms of what, what you look forward to six feet under, that was a huge misdirect. And like, yeah. we, I never watched this show alone. After The Sopranos, I watched this show with groups, probably it's, overlapped with Sarah a little bit. Yeah, and, uh, I, I think so. Yeah, we were like, what the fuck? Holy shit. <laughs> it seems like a very yeah. weird show to watch instead of sports on a Sunday night, but well, there I was. Well, here's, okay, so here's the thing. So I said I hadn't watched the first couple of seasons and then I picked it up and I was like, wow, this show is great. So I went back and I also watched the pilot and I watched it with my husband who's never seen an episode of this show. Mm-hmm. And mostly we were just struck by, I mean, the the emotional realness, like the very, the minute emotional things that like we never talk about or see depicted. And also that it's really funny. 
It, it is so a funny, it is funny, funny show. And I know, Sarah, you will love that as we got towards the end of the episode, he's like pointed at Rachel Griffith's character and was like, I really like her. Does she come back? <laughs> that's that's oh, it's a good question me. because like i think she was a guest star keith is a guest star richard jenkins is a guest star you don't know if these people are going to return to the show but yeah, i can tell you that they do spoiler uh they return yeah, a lot like, yeah she's one of the main characters don't worry about it and he was like okay i was worried she was just sort of like here to get him to the plot and then she'd leave no it's, like, it's, a, it's a character yeah. that could have lasted a season but like thankfully is there the entire time she's very alluring like mm-hmm. there is you get why Nate falls in love with her. And like, and it's... correct me if I'm wrong, sir. I've never seen her in anything else ever, ever. What? Rachel Griffiths. No, you're not paying attention, man. I, look, yeah. I watch I watch a lot for this show. I, I can't name something else she's in. I can see you typing in IMDb because you don't know either. What is that I, Australian film? I can give you Hillary and Jackie off the top of my that's, head because okay. that's the first thing I saw her in. Mm-hmm. Let's go to all right filmography. She's got a part in Muriel's wedding. Mm-hmm. She's in my best friend's wedding. Uh, <laughs> oh my god! I All Chris's favorite about her films. In my best friend's wedding. Uh, oh, she was. We just talked about her in Blow, where she plays Johnny Depp's right. mom. Yes. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. And then later on, she went to be in another like primetime soap. Right? Was it Brothers and Sisters? Or yes, she's on Brothers and Sisters okay. with Sally Field. Right? No. Yep. Yes. Yep. yep. Oh. Um, also, I have to say that Freddie Rodriguez plays Federico, one of the best characters. Like, I love him so much. He's so funny. He always brings, like, a little extra, like, oomph, a little truth to the scene, too. It's, like, he's usually, like, when everyone's like, oh, my problems. It's, he is, like, it's the guy great. that's like, he, guys, we got a dead body down here. We should probably take care of it. But he's, he's this he's this hustling first-generation American. And when it, whenever yeah. ever, all these white people are like, why do my farts smell so bad? And he's like, hey, I don't have anything. I got to work really hard. I had to put myself through fucking mortician school to do this. Go, go. I want to well, succeed in this business. The dad, the dad he did for mortuary school. For right. Him. But, but, but he's the struggler. He's, he's like what I tend to think about when I get too mopey about my own problems is mm-hmm. like, it, things are a lot harder for people like Rico in the world. Shut up. Maybe, maybe Rico doesn't want to mm-hmm. listen to your stupid podcast. Also, I have to say too, <laughs> if we want us to sell this show to you anymore, Sam and I, when we were sitting down to start watching it again, I mean, this is 2001. It's going to be fun to see people pop up who are huge stars now who just have like little small, weird little bit parts or whatever here and there. Like this is the first time I saw Justin Thoreau when he was Brenda's boyfriend for a little while. There are, Um, there are a few. I saw my favorite. This is the first time I saw Jeremy Sisto. Well, a real fucking creep. (laughs) I love love how he dies. What a creep. Uh, and and spoilers, the end of Six Feet Under will eventually show you how everyone dies. So you won't see everybody die. You'll just know how everybody dies. Oh, and because... it will shred you into pieces. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's one of my oh, favorite yeah. endings ever. And uh, my again, my favorite guest star, because we were obsessed with the original Office, and then Rain Wilson pops up and makes a huge splash as the the lover of the <laughs> of the old woman. And he, he comes over to fuck Ruth, but all he wants to do is watch... Silent Running. It's such a great film. Uh, and, 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 he's, uh, and then, and then I remember just like a week later, he's ca- this character is cast in the American remake of The Office, and that was like the one-two punch of like Steve mm-hmm. Carell, this guy from Six Feet Under. I'll watch this new Office. And, True. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I also you also get 
great people that show up that are kind of recurring, like Ed Begley Jr., mm-hmm. Elena Date, Douglas is in it, Patricia Clarkson. This is the first time I ever saw Patricia Clarkson. Fell in love with her oh. there. Lily Taylor, Ben Foster, mm-hmm. Nina Savari's in there, Peter Fascinelli. We'll I, would, I, would I, would recomm- I would recommend – I thought the pilot was great. Yeah. I had yeah. a great time with it. I, I don't know if I want to jump back into it. It was – I still the have pilot? the $80 DVDs. Uh, <laughs> Let me just tell you this too. The pilot does a thing that does not show up later on oh, the where commercials? they do these fake commercials do that are like. like for funereal yeah, things. Yeah, fake, fake funereal stuff. products. Yeah. I don't know yeah. what the term is. Yeah, that doesn't show up again. Those suck. Yeah, Don't worry not, about did it. Did not care that for that. Um, let me yeah. let me jump out of here real fast with the uh, games of this period. We'll talk about that more on patreon.com slash laser time. Did I do Crazy Taxi 2 last week? Crazy Taxi 2 is out on Dreamcast. Even though Crazy Taxi 1 came out on PS2 like a week or two ago in 302010 time. Wait, ask me that question again. What? Did we talk about Crazy Taxi 2? Did we talk about Crazy Taxi 2? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Speaking of games my mom is probably excited about, Bejeweled. Bejeweled is out in the original. The original, like the, I believe. Oh yeah. my gosh! Yeah, as a, as a flash game. I played and, some Bejeweled in my time. Yeah, man. Mm-hmm. Popcap games were, were the shit. My mom was addicted, and my dad's like, "What are all these browser plugins that keep popping up?" That's mother not knowing how to control her Bejeweled clones. Man, Castlevania: Circle of the Moon comes out for Game Boy as the Spider-Man Two Sinister Six on Game Boy Color, and that is about it for 2001 games. Let's close out with uh, your song by Elton John from the Moulin Rouge soundtrack. Can I make a suggestion, actually? Sure. I think yeah. we should close out with Like a Feather by Nikki Costa. Go for it. You got it. I want to introduce more people to that song. And we all know your song. Like yeah, a Feather. Just, I forgot how much it got used in Moulin Rouge. Oh, it's... A Closing out with Like a Feather. Thing. Stick around. Uh, we'll be right back for 2011. All the ships at sea. It's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching. And for the week of May 28th through June 3rd, uh, I feel like we've already recommended so much stuff during this show that I shouldn't even bother. But uh, let's get to a couple. Uh, how about uh, 40 years ago this week, 1981 saw the release of <laughs> not my favorite John Waters film, but pretty close, Polyester. <laughs> because there's just nothing like, you know, John Waters spending time with a dysfunctional family because that's the only kind. Edith Massey yelling at people and Divine stomping around. I mean, it's John Waters. You know what you're getting. And I don't think anyone does anything so disgusting that, you know, the cops will show up. So, yeah, go for it. And then a less dysfunctional family, but a family nonetheless. 60 years ago, 1961 saw the release this week of A Raisin in the Sun with Sidney Poitier and Ruby Dee. Debut of Lou Gossett Jr., uh, written by Lorraine Hansberry, adapted from her play. I would love to see this on stage. I've heard all kinds of different productions that were amazing, but this is the best you're going to do with that because, damn it, it's Sidney Poitier. And it's about a family that, you know, lives in, where they live? Brooklyn, maybe? Uh, they're trying to better their lives, you know, because they're Black and it's 1961. And 
they come into some money and they try to move to a white neighborhood and they have all these ambitions of what they should do with a little bit of money and trying to figure out like how can we accomplish anything when the system is so against us and uh, all the performances are great Sydney Poitier especially Ruby D is so good in this and it's been a long time since I watched it but she really sticks with me well I, I gotta say you wanna watch a movie about the black experience then um, in the classic era you're probably not gonna do much better than a raisin in the sun from 1961 and that's it for this week stay classic Coming in in 2011 with You Are a Tourist by Death Cab for Cutie off of Codes and Keys. Welcome to another decade of May 28th to June 3rd. We're in 2011 specifically. Death Cab for Cutie screams 2011 to me. Uh, if that doesn't do it for you, well, not necessarily this, but uh, Blondie has their first album out in eight years, Panic of Girls. Um, and it sounds like classic Blondie. I'm going to make us strange. go out with some because it's fun. Um, ukulele songs by Eddie Vedder. That sounds Guess excruciating. What that's about. <laughs> Speed of Darkness by Flogging Molly. Whatever. You deserve it, white people. Uh, Circuital by, uh, am I saying that right? Um, Circuitol. Circuitol. That's probably how it's pronounced. By My Morning Jacket and The Future is Medieval, a.k.a. Start the Revolution Without Me by Kaiser Chiefs. Uh, Rolling the Deep by Adele is still number one. And a little bit of news to bring you into where we are right now. I didn't realize this was... Man, I just watched her in Last Action Hero. I believe the only time they share any screen time together. But it is the it is doom. It is the end for Arnold Schwarzenegger and Maria Shriver. They divorce after 25 years. Yep, they file. She files for a divorce. It's we just talked about the revelation with the the housekeeper and having a kid with her, and boom, that's it. Now we're done. Oh, we're that done. was that was the end. I thought she knew, she that's was it. aware of the kid the whole time. I don't know. I would not be surprised if she was. I thought she I was. Would not be surprised if the publicity. The publicity was an is issue. the thing. Is like mm. nah, nah. Um. Anytime anything comes out with like a famous couple in an affair, I just assume that they have an arrangement. Like yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I think Who I think cares? in the long run you can look at Hillary Clinton's face when like new allegation against Bill Clinton. She's like, I know, I've got, new? I know. Don't embarrass me in public, Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> Holly was part of our wedding vows. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then 2011 movies. This is the one I wanted to get to the most because like my dad keeps talking about this. Christopher Plummer died. He's like, this movie's great. Uh, this movie rocks. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Christopher yep. Plummer, Ian McGregor in Beginners. An Oscar-winning performance. My parents got married in 1955. They had a child, and they stayed married for 44 years until my mother died. Six months later, my father told me he was gay. I'm gay. I remember him wearing a purple sweater when he told me this, but actually he wore a robe. I'm gay. (laughs) He was gay the whole time they were married. Oliver. Yeah, uh, this this movie... Raver, just hearing my dad talk about it, like apropos of nothing, I think it was just like, yeah, we lost Christopher, Christopher Plummer a little while back. We did, and like, yeah, like, did you ever see Beginners? That movie's fucking rules. My dad was more it's... eloquent than that, but uh, <laughs> yeah, this movie is so sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's kind of the best way to describe it, and so it's very touching. I cried a lot when I watched it. I loved it so much. Yeah, I I love that the trailer that is just part of the movie, and it's it's. Interesting how this relates to a movie we just talked about. Amelie is a very similar style of mm-hmm. this is this person. They like this thing and this thing. 
this is what this looks like. This is a guy. This is a star. <laughs> this is my father's boyfriend. And it's got the French lady in it. So it's, it's all, it. it's all, it's, yeah, Melanie Laurent, isn't it? She's cool. She's from Inglorious Bastards? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it was pretty cool. Christopher Plummer finally got, it was kind of a lifetime Oscar, but he, he is really good in this. And yeah, they just explained Christopher Plummer comes out to his son, Ewan McGregor in his seventies and then embarks on living his life. And it turns out, you know, all the time he was growing up, Christopher Plummer was very closed off as a person because duh, because he was in the closet, just like with six feet under, we were just talking about. It and really is one of the gayest shows we've ever done. Gayest week ever. <laughs> and and now he's like living his life. Like he's going to clubs and he's he's got a boyfriend and, you know, and, and then it's also about Ewan McGregor coming to grips with these changes and also being a very closed off person and starting to sort of open up in this relationship with Melanie Laurent, who's like adorable and cute and charming and stuff. And uh, yeah, finally watched it. I've been meaning to watch it for 10 years. Finally watched it. Loved it. I thought it was so charming. Makes you want to just go hug people. Yeah. And yeah. have a cute dog. That dog's so cute. <laughs> Truly. And Melanie Laurent does the perfect job of not being a manic pixie dream girl, but right on the edge. Oh, close. <laughs> she got right close. on the edge. <laughs> Yeah, so it's great because I've I, in this last week I've done three decades of you and McGregor, literally all on the same day, back to back to back. I watched him age ten years from Moulin Rouge to this. I watched him age ten years from this to Halston, which I just watched on Netflix, Ooh. and that's when it suddenly hit me that I'm glad because this is super gay week that we can, let's honor you and McGregor as the gayest <laughs> straight man alive. Yeah, I've seen his because, dick so much. Going back even to the 90s, when if you were an actor and you kissed another man in a movie for a part, mm -hmm. everyone assumed you were gay, and now you were always going to play gay. Mm -hmm. you, it just became a thing that, oh my god, you made out with a dude. You McGregor got full-on naked yep. and full-body shot made out with an older man in the pillow book, and he just kept going. I'm just like, fuck you, I can still be a leading man. Yeah. I like playing interesting characters. And this kept coming up even when we were talking about I Love You, Philip Morris. Yes. When he was doing press for that. That came up over and oh. over. And every time he was like, I like the part. I'm playing <laughs> a part. No, it's not weird to kiss Jim Carrey because we're acting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Duh. It should not be any weirder than kissing Nicole Kidman who he's also not in a relationship with. Yeah, which it turns yeah. out uh, with hindsight is still a pretty gay thing to do. No, no. <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Edit that joke, but leave it. Wow, in. wow, uh, but, wow, but, wow. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a I'm a huge Ian McGregor fan, and just not to bring it back to Star Wars, the only part of the prequels I would save in a fire. Yep, and, <laughs> a thousand percent. Yep, he, he, going for the voice was a choice, and he he did a great job. And uh, yeah. yeah, beginners, watch it. It's sweet. Definitely watch it. And 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 keeping. With the gay theme, it's it's yes. it's the return Yay. of the X Men. Um, a little less of that in this film, but yeah, I, I, I the subtext the subtext is clearly well, there. The, the subtext, the subtext, even is, a scene of a guy coming out as a mutant. Yeah, but yeah. the subtext over and over again, X Men is presented at least cinematically as many times an allegory for the LGBT community. I would say. <laughs> Well, not not so much comic book. Brian, minority civil rights. Brian Brian Singer, yeah, it's it's Brian Singer made this 
pretty exclusively uh, gay allegory. He does deserve credit for that. But uh, mm-hmm. look at this. Look at this cast. We got to talk about a new cast here: Jason Fleming, Edie Gathegi, uh, Lucas Till, Caleb La- Landry Jones, Zoe Kravitz, Ray Wise, Oliver Platt, Jennifer Lawrence, Nicholas Holt, Rose Byrne, uh, January Jones, Kevin Ooh. Bacon, Michael Fassbender, and James McAvoy in X Men: First Class. It's number one of the box office. Can you believe? Two superpowers want to start World War Three. We need your help to stop them. Tomorrow, mankind will know that mutants exist. They'll turn on us. Not if we stop a war. They're just kids. No, they were kids. The cost of freedom is always high. One path we shall never choose. The path of surrender. X-Men First Class. I don't even know how to talk about this film as a giant Marvel fan. Uh, it is absolutely not bad. It is one of the better prequels I've ever seen in my entire life, but it is still I, a prequel and it, mm-hmm. sorry, go, you guys go ahead. <laughs> I, was gonna say, I think this is my second favorite X-Men movie. It's Matthew Vaughn is one of the greatest directors that we have. And he had, if you go back in, through history and look at all the Marvel movies he was attached to and just like, nah, I'm not digging this. I'm pulling out and, yep. and did every we time. Just, we just talked about Thor. And yep. that wouldn't have been a good match. I, I agree. He, yeah. he does more kinetic, faster They, they wanted him to shepherd this whole series. And after this one movie, he's like, I think he said, he, no, I don't want to do Days of Future Past. You you will never be able to do another X-Men movie if you do the ultimate X-Men story. We need to build up to that and then maybe close this trilogy out with that. But again, it's Fox still thinking the MCU is officially in full gear. And they're still thinking in terms of trilogies and movies every three years. And Marvel's doing the most exciting thing ever done on screen. And the X-Men don't get to be a part of it. it I'm filled with anger thinking about the X-Men movies. One, how, how bad the previous one was. Oh, yes. And uh, did we already discuss the Wolverine? Is that out? Um, uh, the- no. But we did talk about X-Men Origins Wolverine. That's what I'm talking about. Oh, so sorry. Oh, X-Men yeah. Origins Origins Wolverine's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. And they yeah. and, and they basically make the decision to go like prequels for, for, from here on out. Well, we're seeing all the other Marvel heroes hang out and do fun stuff together. We get children version of at the time, not at the time, but like 10 years ago, there was nothing hotter than the X-Men, maybe Spider-Man. And 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 so now the movies have kind of killed off all the characters all of us wanted to see. We started over. And while, again, this is not a bad movie, it's just I'm, I'm filled with resentment thinking about it as a comic book mm-hmm. fan and things I wanted to see comic book movies do. And they're, I, I feel mildly validated by that because every situation they get in and like fight off feels dumb and contrived because Marvel is always working from this weird framework where we're escalating to something or this isn't always a world ending event. Um, mm. We're not always introducing a new villain. We are going to, and, and, and yeah, this just, just so Brown and sixties, like, God damn it. I miss my pink like and it. yellow yeah. blue X-Men, but I can't hate this cast. The cast is amazing. Yeah, uh, he, he, I think I, I think some of your complaints are the next bunch of movies after this. I think of. they went in the wrong direction. Yeah, Apocalypse and, is, is terrible. So terrible. Yeah. As a huge X-Men fan, I have never seen whatever the Phoenix movie was. I, Rising I just, Phoenix yeah. or something? I think it's just Dark, Phoenix. Dark Phoenix. Dark Phoenix. Phoenix. Yeah, I, I'll, yeah. I, no, I've, I just won't watch it. I've had people full-on warn me, whatever you do, don't go see it. I'm like, okay. No interest. But like, but um, like a young Jennifer Lawrence and Nicholas Holt and, and James McAvoy, Michael Fassbender, I'm not going to lie, this is sort of my introduction to all of them, at least in mm-hmm. uh, other than... Lawrence, who is unrecognizable from Winter's Bone, but yeah, I, I love this cast. I even love Kevin Bacon in this. I think he's oh, great. I love Kevin Bacon and in he's, this. 
having fun. Mm -hmm. He is yeah. like playing Hugh Hefner, the supervillain. <laughs> I love that. The, the yeah. vibe he is going for. I love them going back to the 60s. I like the modness of it. I like mm -hmm. that the, the overall plot is lifted straight from like half a dozen James Bond movies from mm -hmm. the 60s and 70s. Mm -hmm. The idea of like, we're going to, you know, make it look like they're shooting in weapons so that the, the Soviets will retaliate and we start World War III. Mm -hmm. It took forever for them to get to this because for a while they were going to do individual movies. They were doing Marvel backwards where we had yep. the team ups and then we do the individuals, X-Men Origins, Wolverine. There was going to be, there was going to be a storm one. There was going to be, this started as X-Men Origins Magneto. Mm -hmm. And bits of that script are still here, front-loaded the beginning, the best parts of the movie, <laughs> where we have Magneto Nazi hunting. Yeah. That shit is it's awesome. great. Yeah, let's thank make a whole movie out of that. I'm please. sorry, please. I'm into it. Thank you for reminding me about it, because this movie is filled with good stuff, and I did not mean to front-load it with my personal comic book baggage. I do yeah. really like this movie. I really love Matthew Vaughn and will watch anything he does. It's just like I get some of this confused with the Kingsman because it just the Kingsman <laughs> feels more like more like these yeah. this one film. And then, you know, to to his his point, like they go Days of Future Past, bring back all the old cast and make this whole wonderful new cast irrelevant. And the all the other movies suck after that. It's mm. uh it's frustrating. But like uh this is the yeah. this is this I don't know, I think this might be better than Days of Future Past, if I'm being really honest. I, I think it is. It's mm -hmm. it's a little shaggy around the edges. It's another movie. It's like you could cut a little bit out, and I'd be way happier. Mm -hmm. But even that, like it, it ends up like informing how the characters relate to each other, or you know, discussions about the civil rights issues, yeah. and mm -hmm. you know, the idea of like, well, is is respectability more important for us for to you know to get through to the normies, or we should you know let our freak flags fly? And mm -hmm. Jennifer Lawrence is like, I'm not going to lighten my skin and straighten my hair for Whitey. Yeah, and everyone's just, they brought in top-notch freaking actors, and everyone yeah. does great. I guess my tiniest complaint was re-watching this, seeing, oh, Michael Fassbender's Irish accent slips in a couple times. Oh, yes, it, it does. It's yeah, there. I don't know that I... I also have to say, great montages. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I am, I am a person, montage. I love a montage done well. And this movie has a lot of montages, I have to admit. You are going to love I, Matthew Vaughn, man. Oh, he's so good. <laughs> I love a montage. And it's a great way for me in a movie to get from point A to point B. And there's a lot of that in this movie. And I like it, actually. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I think they do creative things with different people's powers. Mm -hmm. That Yeah, the idea of like, oh, one of the bad guys can teleport. So what does he do? He teleports. He grabs someone. He teleports 50 feet in the air and he drops him. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh. That's pretty, pretty straightforward way. To yeah, it just, yeah, it just it, it just job. and it just feels so odd that for a long time Marvel the MCU remains very grounded in its depiction of superheroes where X-Men are just sort of like fuck off anything you can think of these characters can do. <laughs> uh, <laughs> telepathy and time travel and bamfing in and out of existence and it's just so weird they have to play in this separate universe and I'm so excited to see them interact together. It's the only thing I'm can still really get excited about with Marvel movies 10 years, fuck, 12 years in. Uh, I cannot wait for the X-Men. Once the crown jewel of the Marvel Empire literally sold off separately from the rest of Marvel to Fox because they were worth that much. Get to interact with all these people again because it's so much fun when they do in the comics. It really is. Like Marvel characters can barely accomplish anything without an X-Men or two. And I really want to see them play together. But I, I, hmm. I should not slander this movie. It is 
a really if you just think of it as like a 60s marvel movie it's really fun yeah and i mean when you're talking about kevin bacon having a lot of fun again camp yep there are some (laughs) elements of camp in this movie and camp is one of those things that like as we all know from the met gala a couple years ago it's hard to define people (laughs) don't always know what camp is and i even feel like i don't always know what camp is but like the supreme court i know it when i see it and there is there are definitely some really Kevin Bacon is camping it up. In this, it, it's, 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 for, it's, for this ridiculous gay episode, now I feel bad. I mentioned anything besides polyester in classic horror. <laughs> what was I thinking? And for this, this X Men, like every, the first couple X Men movies are interesting because they're always fighting a villain that's like, no, no, I'm going to kill a bunch of people in the name of equality. <laughs> and this movie yeah. is just like. No, this is a villain. <laughs> this is a villain <laughs> with a and justify the means horseshit. No, he is just a villain. It is very comforting no. to watch this film. Yeah, it's like no, you're. Oh, I'm gonna wipe out all the regular humans and only mutants will be around. It's like yeah, after the massive thermonuclear war, ain't no one's gonna be bottling that champagne you like so much. So <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah. Good luck having sex with that girl made of diamonds from Mad Men. I hope. <laughs> really cut up your I mean, that casting was very good. Let me just put it that way. January Jones, one of the most like icy, cold, wooden <laughs> actors of all time to uh, make her into a diamond lady who like can't emote. Yeah. Good, good casting, y'all. <laughs> um, and yep. then, wow, we have very little to talk about. I looked it up too, but there's nothing else yeah. in TV really. But it's it's interesting. This has never happened before. A show that aired in the previous segment ends this week. I was wow. wondering. I was wondering if this has ever happened because I couldn't remember I don't it ever so. happening when I was on the show that like we talk about the beginning and end of a show in the same episode. Yeah, it, it, it just, especially when That's shows crazy. debut in 1991 because they can only begin in the fall and end in the summer, and it just. Ne- yeah, it's it's almost an impossibility, but we've finally done it, and it is we very it. excitingly Mark Summers unwrapped on the Food Network. Um, we did, Joe. Yeah, I, Unwrapped does come back. I think there's an Unwrapped 2.0, so we haven't seen the end of Unwrapped. And I got I got to plug the first episode of Chop in June. One of our friends is on Chop. Uh, Chop. Yeah, I can't wait. I've never never watched the show in my life, but I'm so excited for him. I only watched um, it in a hotel room. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that about wraps up the the movies. We got to get to the games uh, ever so slightly. Ooh, what are your favorite games of 2011, ladies? Risk, of course. <laughs> Cribbage. Um, I, I like MASH. Mash I've, been, I've been known to play uh, Gin Rami here and there. At 30, I was playing a lot of MASH. Sims 3 Generations, Blast Blue, Continuum Shift. I don't need to do this that fast at all. Days of Thunder, a game where uh oh my god uh yeah they they were the only person to reprise his role as michael rooker uh (laughs) nicole Nicole kidman did not come back to do a voice not for not for the psp game what the hell (laughs) they didn't have a doctor on the psp game that she could i think it was there's too much action I don't even want to. I just want Michael Rooker rambling for like five hours, uh, just talking about whatever he feels you. like. I'm Never Poppin cut John. that mic. Um, and Never then- cut the mic where he's like, "Look out for that driver." You ever have this kind of beer? I had this beer the other day. <laughs> 
then under siege, under siege, a game that is uh, has nothing to do with Steven Seagal movie. All right, with that, we, the show is not yet over. We have to tell you who died during this period and who lived, but we're going to get a couple plugs out while you're still listening. Yeah, if you heard us talk about that, want to hear more in depth conversation about the games, the Vigivit Game Apocalypse Boys not only do a great show every week, every single Friday, both topical and a magazine style feature of old games, they really bring it to the table with uh, old game knowledge, talking about games from this period of 302010. So we have a new episode of that up right now. We have plenty more coming on patreon.com slash laser time. Di, where can people find you at? They can find me on the Twitter at listenerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010podcast, 302010podcast. And plug in next week, we got a J.J. Abrams mystery box. We've got, oh, an Ivan Reitman failure, and Hugh Jackman's a hacker? <laughs> oh no! Oh no! I know exactly also, what this is. Billy Crystal is going west. Ooh, man! Oh, I can't wait. Hey, you could also rate us and review us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever the hell they're calling oh, it now. Whatever it's called now. I'm sorry. I'm Got a big old-tiny. update today. I also have to say that almost every movie we talked about was a recommend on this show, yep. and I can yeah. tell you. I know how excited I was about all those movies because during this episode, my Fitbit registered 10,000 steps just for my hand motions. (laughs) (laughs) I was sitting here and my Fitbit started vibrating with a 10,000 meter. And I know I was not there when I sat down to do this podcast. That means I, I waved my hands around so much in excitement. Yeah, that I hit ten thousand steps during oh this episode. It's bouncing around like a little rabbit. Just couldn't wait. Couldn't wait to talk about how Backdraft was number one. This and- is how Pride <laughs> Month is, is so exciting. Yeah, and, it's, it's, and if you're a big movie fan, it's the summer. It's 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 not going to stop. We have exciting movies to talk about. Great things to sort of steer you towards. So. Tell a friend about the show. Maybe pick up a movie recommendation. Di- who, who died during this period of 30, 2010? Oh, man. Oh, we, we lost a lot. Let's start in 2001. We lost Hank Ketchum, creator of Dennis the Menace. He was 81. He was 81. He pioneered the uh, Dairy Queen Blizzard. <laughs> Sorry. That was just... We, yeah. did, we did a laser time over the longest standing product placement. And that really did last a long time. Dennis the Menace mm-hmm. being on your Blizzard Cup. But uh, I love comic strips uh, more than most people listening and i love how nepotistic they are like they are almost (laughs) always like a three generation Mm -hmm. family business i do believe hank ketchum's kids are still writing the comic as we speak uh no Mm. matter what their qualifications were but dennis the menace man i i I tried to watch an episode of the black and white show that nickelodeon used to air because i found it on one of our free streaming stations didn't care for it but i really love the the phil hartman cartoon (laughs) of the like of like the 86 (laughs) era but anyway sorry death 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 ah then oh we got some classic we got some classic actors and it's so unfair we just talked about anthony quinn van in only the lonely and he passed away this week 10 years late in uh, 2001 he was 86 mm-hmm. i actually had to look it up what the hell ethnicity was he because he played every ethnicity he was mm. one of those guys like a john Turturro, where it's like i don't <laughs> his hair's too, Greeks half the time his hair's too curly to be white he can be anybody it's like oh he's olive skin has black hair uh i i guess i guess he's a saudi now or <laughs> whatever he was mexican-american oh okay now i know Cool. Okay, but yeah, watching Azorba the Greek or Lawrence of Arabia or Lust for Life. Or, I'm seriously speaking of man's man, a comedian's comedian, Imogen Coca, who is 92. I think vast majority of people recognize her as the grandma, or is it grandma or aunt from National Lampoon's Vacation? Oh. Uh, who dies in the car? Mm-hmm. Please go to YouTube and look up clips of her from your show of shows with Sid Caesar. 
Uh, she's the only woman who could keep up with Sid Caesar and Carl Reiner and all those guys. She was freaking hilarious. <sighs> then in 2011, we lost an actual hero, John H. Sinfeld, the engineer who brought us unleaded gasoline, who was 80. Mm-hmm. There are, you want to get Freakonomics-y about it? There are people who think that crime rates go, have gone down because we've switched to unleaded gasoline. So we have less lead in paint and gas and stuff in the air. So we're less likely Whoa. to go crazy and kill each other. Wow. Whoa. Oh, I thought it yeah. was unleavened gasoline. All right. Sorry. Th- <laughs> it's kosher for <laughs> Kosher <Passover>. gasoline. <laughs> oh, my bad. That's way more significant. <laughs> yeah. Then we lost uh, Jack Kevorkian, who was 83. He did not take his own life. But he would have if he felt like it. <laughs> And then James Arness from Gunsmoke, he was 88. Gunsmoke, baby, but with... Uh... Okay. Yeah, yeah, So no real untimely deaths this week. That's good. No, yeah. no, they were all... Everyone's over 80, you're right. That's they lived cool. all really fulfilling for, lives, Yeah, hopefully. Gary Shandling said something like that on his Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, and like, yeah, everyone says 60's too early to die, but it's just like, really, he's still hosting a talk show at 60? Like, they, t- <laughs> everything else I would do, people would say I was too old for, except dying. And with that macabre nonsense out of the way, we got to figure out who was born during this period. Bye, 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 bye. Oh, birthday is a doodly-doo, a ding-dong, doodly-doodly, ding-dong-doo. Okay. Oh, Sarah beat me last time. Yeah, Mm. she did. All right. This is going to be a tough one. Let's see. Okay. But it's someone who deserves recognition. I learned interesting things about her that I'm going to tell you right now. Turning 60. Damn it. That means she's not an actress. It's probably an important person. Turning 60. Born May 31st, 1961 in Rochester, Minnesota. She was a professional ballerina by age 14, but she quit when she was 20 because the artistic director of the company she was in, Mikhail Baryshnikov himself, (laughs) told her she was too stocky to be a prima ballerina. Oh, goodness. Rosie O'Donnell. (laughs) Sorry. No. Yeah, now think of stocky women. You start throwing stuff out there, Sarah. Yeah, well, you, that's the thing. Is watch you get canceled. It, to be the difference between a professional ballerina and a prima ballerina is not someone you think of as stocky. Mm. There's no, but ballerinas are very specific. So anyway, that's she young. turned to acting. Uh, she got a whole bunch of Burger King ads with little baby Sarah Michelle Geller and Elizabeth Shue. And then she lied about her acting experience and said, oh, no, I've done a bunch of movies. So she got her very first movie, Jaws 3D. Oh, my God. I've seen this too many times to not. God damn it. Louis Gossett Jr. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) He is in Jaws 3D. Yes, he is. Uh... Too stocky to be a prima ballerina. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Next week, we will talk about a TV show she was on called Switch to Birth. Uh, uh, Molly Ringwald? Nope. Okay. Uh, but we've also talked about casual sex and some kind of wonderful. <laughs> it does have a question mark. Casual in it. sex. Uh, it's got a question, it's got a question mark. mark in it. Um, this. Uh, uh, I know what it, I know her first name. I'm coming up with the last one. Uh, All right. What's her first name? No, that's good. Probably yeah. No. What, no. Why would I listen to her? I almost did. Um, yeah. You almost said it. <laughs> All right. So switch to birth. Casual sex. Uh, some kind of wonderful ad space camp and Howard the Duck. Oh, God. I know who it is. It's Leah Thompson. Thompson. Damn it. Yeah. Oh. 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 We've also talked about Back to the Future 2 and 3 and Caroline in the City. Best yeah. real fake breasts in the business. Leah Thompson, Back to the Future 2. <laughs> She's so big, mother. <laughs> real creepy line. Uh, with that... Let's close out with some Blondie. Let's close out with some Blondie. What I heard off of Panic yep. of Girls. Tell everybody about the show. Thank you guys so much for listening. Consider dropping a $5 donation at patreon.com slash laser time. We love you guys. Thank you so much. We're out. Hooray.